My mom had said there is a chance we have eggnog at home or spiced rum at home. And I said, okay, I'm willing to risk that chance. We'll see what's in the cupboard. And, and it wasn't. I said no. Uh, instead, <laughs> we found a strange assortment. We found uh, licorice liqueur. Sometimes called Zambuca. Okay. It was not Sambuca labeled, though. It was just unnamed licorice liqueur. We found Weird. amaretto. Uh, what else was in there? Peppermint. Oh, no. Uh, pomegranate liqueur. Pomegranate. I used to make a, uh, a red martini thing with the pomegranate, with the pomegranate liqueur. Um, I did not put that in the eggnog. Uh, rye, at the end of the day, was the best option. I would not be offended by rye in eggnog. It was the least you know, offensive thing in the cupboard. We also strongly debated amaretto. I did not debate amaretto. I feel like that would that would taint the flavor of the eggnog itself too much. That is why my face went cringe, and I wasn't entirely sure how I felt <laughs> about any of it. I just assumed that was from a bad amaretto experience in your teens. Okay, that's amaretto and coke should not be experienced by anyone. Um, uh, choices were made. I, I'm really not a big fan of amaretto like at all, so I don't think that I will ever have to suffer that particular fate. Yeah, these were mistakes that you make when you're in grade 12. Who among us? Who among us? Welcome to Feather and Mountain Season 2, Episode 14. I am your host, Delusions of Grendel. With me, as always, is my co-host, Graham Confusion. Graham, how you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just getting geared up for this uh, Christmas thing. And my delight is high because all of my offspring are going to be with us this year for Christmas. And that's pretty darn exciting as an old guy. So everything's good. And then I intermix all of this holiday spirit in with some of these Wheel of Time shows, including the big gay episode, which was <laughs> episode six. The big so, gay episode. It is what it is. It is what yeah. it is. And girl, that, girl. I mean, to to quote Jenny, gay. <laughs> this episode is going to be gay. And, well, and fuck yeah, it is. It's going to be gay as hell. And with me to talk about how fucking gay the flame of Tarvalon is, is master of the deck. Kayla, how oh, you hello. living? I'm good. I'm just hanging out here with my cats. Um, he's not currently in frame, but, um, you know, his presence can be felt, uh, as he, as he plots to destroy me and everyone else. Uh, and I'm absolutely here to talk about how absolutely gay the sixth episode of the wheel of time TV show was. <laughs> I was frankly delighted by that. So delighted by that. And we'll get into like reactions about how gay this episode was and soiree itself, of course. Uh, joining us as well, because unfortunately, our dear friend Jesse has laryngitis. Uh, so joining us in her stead is my brother, Peregrine. Peregrine, how you living? Living well. Uh, had the family out of the house for the week, so just been uh, doing tasks, almost done done the list, and this was a pleasant, uh, pleasant break from that. Taking notes. Pleasant break. Watching some women loving women love. 
He's got a lot of notes there, by the way. I'm going to be really outshone on this one. Mm -hmm. You should have said about Peregrine is that he's the one that was first directed to the Wheel of Time series. And then you uh, latched on and perhaps dug a little deeper. But he is actually, in our family, the guy who started the uh, cycle out. Yep. Yep. I think plug for going to your local bookstore because that's where it was recommended to me when I was in grade six. Listen to the owners of those bookstores. They know what they're talking about. They do a thing. Well, and I think it was Matt Hatch who actually, he picked up the Wheel of Time because his local librarian recommended Eye of the World to him. Um, Actually, Kayla, because you're an audiobook listener to Wheel of Time and you got into it in 20, I want to say 2017, please correct me. Yes. Um, I, I honestly, these days, I can't quite remember if it was that I started listening to Eye of the World in late 2016 um, and then like finished it in the like early, early days of 2017, or if it's like the opposite way around. I started it in late 2017 and finished it like early 2018, regardless of which year it was. Um, in January of some year, <laughs> in the late, you know, the late teens, um, I had audiobooks.com credits, not audible, um, that were expiring because I had been paying my monthly membership for it, but wasn't buying any audiobooks. And so I was like, huh, um, I've run out of Redwall books to listen to again. So I need <laughs> recommendations. You're um, speaking to very <laughs> avid Redwall fans right now. And also, I don't think any of us have listened uh, to Redwall by audio and... I think that is going to be a situation that will be solved by our future, by our offspring. You've never listened to Redwall audiobooks. Mm-mm. So Isn't let me Isn't tell you the best part. Let me tell you the best part about listening to Redwall audiobooks is that they are narrated by the man, the legend himself, Brian Jakes. So oh. we get a little piece of our dearly departed author. Um, they're, they're full cast recordings, but he plays the part of the narrator. So he does like all of the little bits in between. Um, this is now a Redwall podcast. I've decided. This we will is be the second st- time I've been on that this has become a Redwall podcast. We will be starting with Mossflower next week. Well, weirdly, there are there are some of the audiobooks that haven't been digitized yet. And I don't know why. Like you can still only find them like on eBay or in the depths of Amazon, like on tape. Like I've really wanted to re-listen to Marl Fox, but Marl Fox is one of the ones that you can't get on like as a digital version. There's like some that are just not like Lord Brocktree isn't, not Legend of Luke. Um, thankfully, the Outcast of Redwall is a digital version. So oh, of course, uh, again, we go back fave. to villain shipping. Of course, the Outcast yes. of Redwall is your fave. Of course. You may not remember that one, but do you remember it's with the it's the stoats, right? And there's like the, the bad ferret. dad stoat ferret. ferrets. And you've got yeah. the bad dad ferret, and then he has the offspring who might be okay and ends up saving the day. Spoilers for Red uh-huh. Ball, by the way. Oh, well, all I know is that I am that is Matthias. Right. Yeah. So spoiler, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like you had to be didn't read them in like you know the 80s and the 90s like sorry um okay Again, you're so doing the point being, <laughs> i had Very i true. had run out of red ball books to listen to um and i put out the call on facebook um back in the day when i was still active on that particular platform and it was recommended to me by several people that i should try 
the Wheel of Time, um, the Eye of the World in particular, because it is the first book. And I finally uh, was like, okay, sure. I've had a couple of people say I should try this. So I grabbed the Eye of the World. Um, and to be honest, it took me over a month to finish it because I got distracted by um, pre-J.K. Rowling going full turf Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, and so I was listening to like a podfic of that. I like I stopped for like a month. To was it to Draco that. and um, Harry or what was? No, no. It was um, a sort of um, cult following of this alternate universe thing. It's called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Um, <laughs> and it was written by a guy who decided, okay, what if instead of being raised by his aunt and uncle, Harry Potter was raised by some scientists? Um, and thus Harry Potter is this precocious genius 11 year old who needs to approach everything with the scientific method. It's very <laughs> weird, but it's also fucking hilarious. Um, highly recommend it has like its own website. And yes, it does have like a, like a full, like high quality audio podcast version of it. So I was listening to that and then I did finish it. And then I finished the rest of the series in under two months. And then, it yeah, was, then you do it was in. a lot. Yep. 18 days of audio. In in like in like under two months. That's pretty impressive. That's like going to sleep with Kate and Michael in your eardrums. That's exactly what I did. The sleep timer was my friend. <laughs> uh, so yes, obviously Kayla was at WatCon last year, where Michael Kramer and Kate Redding were in attendance. Oh, of course. Uh, so that Kayla and sure. I, what can what come on? Uh, so Kayla and I shut down at least like I went to bed when Michael went to bed. Um, <laughs> Kate, Kate kept partying. So I shut it down at like 4 a.m. And I thought that was reasonable. Um, did, Kate Redding kept going till 530 in the morning. <laughs> did Kayla ruin her knee from dancing too aggressively? No. And that was also Jordan. No. And I came home. Oh, sorry. Jordan. With bruised ribs. Wrong column. Wrong. No, that was all. It's all you. <laughs> I I did Shot. not. I I managed yeah. to keep all of my limbs and joints intact at both cons. Um, yeah. Kayla was having very highbrow conversations. I was making Michael Kramer read inappropriate tweets at two in the morning. Different nice. experiences. Very good. <laughs> nice, nice. Did you have to donate to Books of Prisoners for every tweet? I screamed at people to donate on uh, my behalf. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I charitied. <laughs> right. Every $20 gets another thirst tweet for Michael Kramer. Right. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Michael Kramer and Kate Redding as delightful as they are. And they will be at WatCon 2023. So get your tickets now. Um, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about episode six, the gay episode, The Flame of Tar Valon. Oh, I never really thought about the gay and the flame being tied together before, but why not? <laughs> Flaming and Tarvalon. I have a cat Flaming in the way. Sorry. And we have a cat crotch in the way, just to be no, more it's specific. Just, it's a pussy it's in the frame. You can say it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like his side and his. You got some butt for it right at the end. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um. So 
The flame of Tarbalan, the gay of the gay, we love to see it. Soiree came to screen. Um, Peregrine, as a reader of the book series for over 20 years, episode six comes up. How do you feel? So I have a confession. These are not I never read the full New Spring. Oh. I read the short story yep. in the Legends. Um, so I don't know all the details of that, but I do know that it exists. The episode as a whole, uh, I found myself this time paying a lot more attention to little details. And that could be because I was watching it, uh, on a different medium rather than watching on the TV. I watched it on my computer and gave me a whole new perspective on X-ray for that and what it is capable of. Uh, and how it can really enhance the experience. Uh, but also, it showed me what they're tying in to yeah. the world. Um, so it talked about uh, why Matt was able to resist the dagger, for example. The x-ray told you that. Yeah, it actually said, it doesn't say, it doesn't link it to channeling or anything like that. It links it to his uh, Taviran nature and it's just kind of there in the x-ray uh so it gives you little explanations and uh and things like that um and you can read all, all through them if you're on the computer you can go to the trivia tab i think there's like 18 things in there but all of them are uh pretty good uh yeah i can say like the x-ray feature is definitely there if you're watching it on the tv it just is a little bit harder to get to um but that's interesting and maybe uh, my watch for season two will be done on the computer instead of the big screen while i saw it or the second watch i feel like <laughs> i feel like watching something with the x-ray is like having that friend who knows way too much about <laughs> like the lore of something with you <laughs> but like you have the option of like like investigating a person instead of them just like popping in with like did you know that in the book version of this like Saruman, uh, guy, in fact <laughs> right in fact Saruman just kind of snuck out one day while the Ents were like you know smoking a blunt and uh and ended up in the Shire of all places you know that kind of thing um <laughs> uh, okay. yeah, well, just a little <laughs> bit of a twist on the Lord of the Wings but why not We'll go there. Uh, Graham, how did your rewatch of episode six go a year after release? Well, I, to be honest, other than when we watched it the first time and I was at your place and you were so excited about. This uh, was pre-labor, to be fair. Two days pre-labor. I was fucking miserable with my life on mat leave. This episode is the only thing that brought me joy. Please continue. <laughs> so when uh, Sanchen and um, Maureen kissed, you were like so excited. Like, yes, they did it. This is great. I love it. And I, I just remember watching it going, I, first of all, I didn't even know who Sanchen is because she's not in Sanchen. See, I read the first. So I read the first book, but I... Uh, I've forgotten it. I've only read it once. And then uh, Grendel asked me to stop. So anyway, not a character <laughs> in the Wheel of Time. Or sorry, in the Eye of the World. 
So I didn't no, even I didn't know who the hell she it. was. No, she comes in the great hunt. So uh, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know that Moraine had any sexual interest in her life at all. And my first watch was like watch going, what the heck is going on? I, I'm really getting confused. I don't understand why it's doing this. Now, that being said, having watched it a year later, and I haven't watched it since last Christmas, I love the episode, but it was about the entire episode, like the um, plot movements throughout all the different parties and just the direction. You learn so much more about Moraine in this episode. I just thought it was excellent. And I actually love the cold open in this one. But again, watching it, I'm thinking, who's this lovely young lady with the crazy tattoo on her chest? And then, Who of course, had to a child. Well, who's that? I, well, we met her dad. He's we'll call him Stubby. He does have a name. I, I found out by, by a subtitle, he does have a name. Yes, again, X ray provides that with you too. But uh, one hand fisherman who gets to use the power of his little daughter to help him do the fishing. Everything was brand new to me. But that being said, having watched it a few times in the last week. I loved it. It just built up a new plot. I'm intrigued by where it's going. I, the uh, Emerald Seat, I think she's a great character. I love her depth. I just thought this episode was excellent. It didn't confuse you that there was a character called the Emerald Seat and a seat? <laughs> I figured that part out. I watched Game of Thrones. You didn't need Egwene to ex- ask the question, why is... Isn't this confusing? Egwene's <laughs> <laughs> wrong so often in the TV show. It's just I just kind of listen to her. I love it. I love I love Look, that, my favorite exposition the from universe. the episode. <laughs> there's the alternate universe where that's the kind of shithead that Egwene is. Like that that's the person. Yeah, that's the kind of question she would ask. <laughs> uh, so how does how does this fall in your rankings of the six episodes now that we've rewatched? Probably number three on the list. I mean, okay. really enjoyable. I found the pacing really good all the way through. I would say four, three, six, five, one, two. Two last. I think so. Interesting. Interesting. We'll delve into that later. Later. In the it won't be the end of my scene. <laughs> I can tell you all episode eight, and it has nothing to do with how it followed the plot. It's how the director decided to end it, and it just destroys all things fantasy movies and TV shows should do. But that <laughs> we'll talk about that in two exactly. weeks. Exactly. Episode eight's a bottom. It's totally fine. <laughs> uh, Kayla, dear friend, how did episode six treat you this rewatch? Um, I to be honest, it has been a while since I've rewatched it, but um I thought that it overall as an episode, it with the exception of like the the couple of shining moments in there, it's not it's not super high in my rankings. Like the gay factor is what redeems it for me. Um <laughs> because like I mean, like that's the not not even just the gay factor with Swan and Moraine, because obviously that's wonderful. Um, but there is a moment um when when Lan and Moraine like kind of like you know, gate crash on like, you know, Matt's sick room and like yes. Rand like basically gets up and like draws his fucking sword, like don't touch him, like, and is ready to to absolutely like just, you know, 
go medieval on a warder who can kick his ass, you know, because that's his, you know, that's you know, his quote unquote, that's idiot. his bro. Yeah. So like, I always, yeah, as a, as a, as a Matt Rand shipper, I found that to be delightful. Um, but <laughs> the, there's just, there's so much uh, like intrigue going on. It feels a little bit slow to me. Um, not that the intrigue isn't interesting, but like there are these slow moments, like, you know, in the bathhouse when you have Mygan who's talking about, you know, the, the, what's happening like, in the West? Ships are disappearing. Right. Maybe I have to Question go there. Mark. So right. weird. Couldn't possibly be foreshadowing there. Um, why would you put a or, scene in there like that? That would possibly speak to what's going to happen in season two. Exactly. I will say, though, that episode six has my favorite scene in it of the entire series. And more, that is Logan's monologue. More than Blood Snow. Logan's monologue in the Hall of the Tower is my favorite scene in the entire series. And then Swansong's replies. I agree with like, you. That was just those excellent. two moments, like, it, it's just the, 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 Alvaro Morte and then Sophie Akinado, like, the, 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 the eyes. budding heads the there, just like the, right, like, the, the mutual, like, manipulation that's going on between there is just, it's really amazing. Um, and, like, I, I absolutely, like, crown that scene, like, not that Blood Snow isn't amazing, because it is. Um, but in terms of just like the delivery of lines that happen, that's it for me. Okay. Um, yeah, for me, episode six on rewatch went a lot better than the first time around. Um, because again, I know where the season is going. <laughs> was that in episode six? It was, wasn't it? Or maybe that was, yeah, episode it was. five. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I got it wrong. Oh, well, so I guess it's not even an episode six. Nah. No, with Logan and Amarlin C. That yeah. was ep- that was episode six. It's episode six. It's like the beginning oh, okay. moment. Yeah, you got it. Okay. It's like we do right. the cold okay, open. Yeah, I'm just getting, we'll get there. I'm getting yeah. my episodes wrong. Good. No, you're totally right there with it. Look, this it is, is your job. Six. I'm just here to talk shit. <laughs> Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, but yeah, on rewatch, episode six was a lot kinder to me. Um, one because I wasn't nine months and a few days pregnant. So I wasn't uh, anxious as fuck. Then I could just sit back and enjoy it for what was happening. Um, it, the soiree stuff was always strong for me, but on rewatch, everything else that was coming. So yeah, Megan's exposition about what's coming down the pipe uh, she's going into the West because ships are disappearing. She says very clearly, I need to go investigate that. Um, so I have no idea what that means. That's that a thread right? that's going to be dangled. Um, it's, it's dangled for book readers. We're like, it's a dangler. Oh shit. This, uh, this ain't good. Uh, we will see her again. Um, we will see the circumstances of her again. Uh, I like the white tower politicking this time around. I liked that we got to hear a little bit about the yellow Aja. Healers. Healers. Um, I liked that we got to see a little bit of Tarvalon as a city. And of course, that we got to see a little bit more of Moraine's vulnerability. Um, and yeah, it 
it uh, on rewatch, it ranks pretty high in my episodes. I don't know quite where it falls. I might go three, six, four now. Uh, not entirely sure, but it is definitely an episode I think I'll come back to more and more as the series itself mm. goes on, not just um, <laughs> not just uh, seasons one and two. I think this is going to have a lot of ramifications. Have you been watching, Peregrine, have you been watching along as we've been doing this? Not up to date. I'm, uh, I've rewatched the first two seasons, listened to the podcast, uh, but after two, skipped ahead to, to episode six. Like you have a child or something ridiculous. Uh, and what I did find with okay. episode six is that there were a lot of those little one line things mm-hmm. that just lay groundwork. Uh, another one that just kind of slips in there. Uh, Swan says, if another sister finds out what we're doing, we'll be stilled. Moving on. Just casual conversation because that is said in The Great Hunt. Just casual conversation happening. Um, so let's get into it. Let's get into the episode. Uh, we'll talk about that cold open, baby swan in tear. Um, and yeah, she's probably, I don't know how to age children. I'm really bad. I'm, I'm going to say she's 14. Oh, I was going to say she was eight. <laughs> but 12 to 14. 10 to 12. Oh, wow. I'll take it back. Yeah, I'll say 10 yeah. to 12. I would 10 say, 12. yeah, youngest for me, I would say she's 11. Like I would say that she's, that's probably that's like she's still like so in terms of just like school age children I am I am a teacher I'm around kids a lot um you know 11 is sort of the oldest that kids get before they head into middle school um and these days like plenty of plenty of young girls are going into puberty by age 11 as well so um in terms of like the the whole like manifestation of the one power that could be happening with her um, it would not be beyond reason, especially as a precocious channeler, you know, one of the most powerful of her generation. Um, the 11, 12, that, that rings true to me. Um, yeah, the, so we'll, we'll put her at a more reasonable age than eight. I think that's fair because she is tattooed. <laughs> Let's put her in the realm of 11 to 14. That makes sense. <laughs> we don't have a year. We do get to know that her dad's name is Burden. Mm. Burden. How subtle. Spelled how? B E R D N. Okay. Thank wow. you, subtitles. There's, not even, there, there's a, the D N too. Burden. There's not even an apostrophe. This is my burden to bear. <laughs> well, maybe it's pronounced differently. Burden. I, I'll accept it. I don't know. But I, Swan did not say his well, name, obviously. He's just bad. <laughs> you know what? Maybe uh, the N is silent. His name is just Bird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get the cold, the cold open of Swan, who is 11 to 14 years old, helping her dad uh, fishing. Um, she channels. She's clearly been working on her knots like her channeling weave for the past week because she can undo a knot that she hadn't been able to do the previous week. Her dad tells her to be careful because they're in tear and uh, it's not a kind place to live if you are a woman who can channel. 
They come back after their fishing expedition. Their house is burnt to the ground. A dragon fang has been carved or has been emblazoned in the wall of the one, the one remaining wall that is a part of their burning house. Um, Burden decides that it's time to send Suwan on a boat to Tarvalon. Um, so good luck. Baby girl, uh, here is one paddle in a dream. Uh, hope you get there. Um, she can come home when it's safe and tear for girls like you. He calls her Suwan Sanche, daughter of the river, clever as a pike, strong as the tides. And in that cold open, of course, we get a glimpse of the stone of tear. So... Lots of stuff happening. Uh, Peregrine, this cooled open for you. How does it feel? What do you take away from it as a book reader? No spoilers. Give me your thoughts. Uh, they're doing a good job of setting up the world. So we see the river in tier, and uh, but we don't actually see the ocean or the port or anything like that. But with the reference to the tides, you know they must be near an ocean. Uh, having read the books and looked at the map extensively, obviously that's true. Um, but it, it's little things like that that uh, I feel they, they do a really good job of just slowly building it out. Here's where it is. Uh, same thing they did in uh, Gildan, where you know it's there. It's obviously different. They keep referring to it in the south by the location. Um so they're just slowly trying to flesh everything everything out. Um, the other thing I noticed with uh, that cold open, there's nothing built for it. So I don't think we're ever going back to those locations specifically. Do you think we're going to go back to the Stone of Tear? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Okay. I'm just asking. Just asking questions. <laughs> I didn't see any stones in tear, so I don't know what you're referring to. No spoiler. Watch, it was there. It's a big hill, big, big lump. You see the myth. Yeah, so that's kind of what I took took away from it. It was a very cold open, and probably not something that we'll come back to, other than the references to like the tattoos and. Uh, the distaste for channelers in tier. Yeah. Strong things to take away. Uh, Graham. Well, it wasn't the coldest of us opens because there was no snow. There was no snow. No snow. But it was the most disconnected of the openings from what my understanding of the Wheel of Time was. So, arrived the world. So, I watched it. I was entertained. I understood more about Swan. I, I saw some early channeling. It it was it was well done. It was entertaining. It was a nice story. But it, other than knowing that we're going to see here in a few minutes is the Emerillion seat, it meant nothing to me. Okay. Tear means nothing. The river means nothing. Everything I didn't even notice the nothing. fucking stone. So there's no <laughs> uh, there's no tie-in to me. I. I it's all blind to me. I, it's all new. So. so as a cold open, it doesn't rank too high? Uh, you know, because it was entertaining and it was well-crafted and there was some interesting lore in it. Like just the untraveling of the knots yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I would put it a 
about fourth on the list. Okay. But, but that being said, knowing that episode five, I don't consider a cold open. It was just a continuation of episode four. So, <laughs> so it's fourth on the list of five, not of six. I see. Mm. I see. And does one really have a cold open? Yeah, it's Maureen getting dressed. Okay, but that's just introduction to the show. Yeah, but she's putting on suspenders. suspenders. It's very the suspenders cold. Suspenders are the cold open. <laughs> Everyone's pants are very hot while she's putting on the suspenders. It's so cold. Okay. <laughs> like the cold open for that episode was intended to be like the 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 male channelers being chased by the red Aja, right? But then yeah. they thought, gosh, we need a montage here with a voiceover. We just need it. Has like it's happen. not it's not Legend of Hercules enough. We really need to go for it. <laughs> And you know what? It worked. Like we need the we needed someone getting dressed with like, you know, a Galadriel style voiceover. With a purpose. Right. But they were all of them deceived. <laughs> That's that sort of level. How many Lord of the Rings references can I work into an episode? Uh, about more Lord because you're really? dealing with two very Lord, big Lord of the Rings fans. So this is your target audience. Uh Grendel not being one of them, but Peregrine and um myself are a bit of nerds in that department you're in oh, yeah. good company Thanks. love that um i have a so you probably heard but there was a bit of a cat fight in my in my room here uh where my location so i had to mute and go break that up and i i put uh Siltress ruin in like hug jail for a little bit and now i have like a time bomb just like hanging out under the blanket with me um, so I I'm not allowed to move or he might attack. <laughs> it's really, it's really quite inconvenient. Uh, but as far as the episode six cold open, I, it was cold. I like, you know, there, there was no, there's nothing leading up to it. It's just like, surprise, bitches. Now we're in tier. Let's see what happens. Yeah. That's Here's exactly now. what I thought. Like, um, wow. Where the hell are we going? How does this tie in? Yeah. Oh, I know who she's going to be. That was all that went through my head. Right. Yeah, so it was just a little, it was a nice, um, especially the music that goes with that scene, the, the sort of like the remix of, yeah. of, right, of El Naito, you know, the um, the flame. Um, it just like, that's the most memorable part of that cold open for me. Like, I think about it and I hear that background music the because swelling. it was just like, you know, it was sped up. And it like the, the just the energy of it was very um, it was like it, it matched Baby Swan to me. Um, and there's some good dialogue in there, you know, the back and forth between Swan and her dad, Burden, um, and the way that it sort of morphs right into the the next scene with Swan Sanche, you know, in the Hall of the Tower was uh, it was a nice transition. I thought that of the cold opens that we've gotten. Um, it was very well connected to um, to what came next. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It was especially, especially a good nod to book readers um, or anyone who had been watching with subtitles when Maureen said, whispered, swan, <laughs> under her breath at the end of episode three, um, to be like, who is swan? And then we meet her and she is swan and we're like okay so she she's a child and then yeah the next entrance is she comes she comes the flame of tarvalon uh and it's liana introducing her but it is a nice transition into the power of what it takes to become literally the most powerful person in the world 
uh, yeah, this this cold open, I mean, the hut uh, hit different on rewatch um, because you see it later in a little bit of a different style, and that's cute. Um, it makes a little bit more sense why Suwan and Moraine would go there. Um, the fear of channelers in tier specifically. I loved that they put that in there, that there are places in the world where women who can channel are not accepted uh, and where there are prices to pay if you are a woman who can channel. And if you are a woman who can channel, the dragon fang is drawn. So I thought that was also a nice touch to what they're putting into the TV show, which is that the dragon can be reborn a man or a woman. And so it's not just like you're a witch, burn her. It's like you're a threat. You might ruin our entire existence. Um, liked all of that that was very subtly drawn. And also, I have so many questions about people who tattoo children. Um, and Do they uh, tattoo children? Or do, they do have the to tattoos say, appear when she completes a task? Like I don't understand. I don't think she's Maui from Moana. Sorry, both of our kids watch Moana a lot. It's disgusting. <laughs> what can I say that. except you're welcome? So while while I'm thinking about it before the thought goes away, um, I thought this um, it seems like they're leaning a little heavily with the Aes Sedai in terms of how they're setting up Swan Sanche of what you were just saying about these women being threatening. Um, there is I I don't know if they'll pursue this, but it seems like they're trying to set Swan Sanche up as this sort of rags to riches story, you know, yeah. where they go directly from her being like the Fisher girl into being, you know, the most powerful woman in the world. And then you go back to episode five and that conversation that Leandrin has with, um, with Nynaeve. That was the previous episode, right? Where mm -hmm. she says something, she has that whole little monologue about, um, you know, men who, uh, you know, can't stand that like the, the little girls uh, could have more power than them. Yeah. Uh, that's why she chose the red, that sort of thing. Um, the, both of Women these are sort of thematically the power, but men right that they sort of exist the in the same box, right? Well, the other um, part of that in terms of just... how they're setting up the Aes Sedai and, and their identity and their place in the world as both simultaneously incredibly powerful and also like you know they they still have their vulnerabilities. Uh, yeah, the other part of that that I just thought of is that. Obviously, Swan's coming from nothing. Uh, it ties it back to Nynaeve's story to Moraine in episode one when the old wisdom was turned away and Nynaeve was under the impression it's because she was from a small village and poor. That's right. That's right. And Suwan literally shows up on a fishing boat with nothing to her name except a paddle shows up on the footsteps of Tarvalon and becomes the Amarlin seat. So clearly the truth that Nynaeve has been told is not the truth of... Might be different. From of the different White Tower. Different things happen. We don't know why. We're left questioning why the old wisdom was turned away. Because it wouldn't have been for money if we take what happened with Suwan as fact that she maybe ruled. it was just a lack of power she didn't have the same channeling capability and stuff like that that's what i would read out of that but i mm. will admit 
I did not put those two storylines together. That, that's brilliant. There we go. It's all tying in again. Layers I, upon layers. I find myself saying it's like the writers have read the books. It's like they know what they're doing. There's so um, many Easter eggs. They're just like so crazy. many Easter eggs. So, many. so I started out taking notes on this episode, intending to break it down into different plots um, by characters, which I usually do. Uh, I could not for this episode. Everything is Maureen. Everything centers on Maureen. Yep. Uh, the and entire I kind of every like they other people wander into mm-hmm. her plot, but quite truly. It is about Moraine. So um, our plots are Moraine in the Hall of the Tower, uh, To the Baths, FFH, Fantasy Fuck Hut, uh, and the next morning, Banishment, and Heading to the Ways. Uh, I didn't know how to break it up otherwise, so we're just going to talk about this episode in chronological order as it happens, um, because there's... Not a lot of other things. Like, we'll talk about other like things that have To be perfectly honest, that might be why I enjoyed the episode so much, because Rosamund Pike is so commanding on the screen. Uh, she just pulled every scene together. To So maybe that's maybe that's why it was. I, I really enjoyed the episode, uh, but although not a lot seemed to happen until the very end. Yeah. Um, so the episode opens following our cold open. It opens on Moraine in the Hall of the Tower, and she is flanked on her left by Alana wearing green, on her right by Leandrin, and there are other Aes Sedai behind them, but those three are the triangle that are front and center. Um, Moraine is looking fly as fuck with her key Sierra in the middle of her forehead. She's got her, like, shoulder pads. She is ready to see her girl because it has been two years since she's fucked. And that is a long time to go. And she put herself together and she dressed for the occasion. Yeah, she's got, like, her eyeliner on. Uh, she is ready. Um, Liana announces Suan's arrival. Um, Suan walks in, and it's clear from the tattoos that we see so prominently, like, displayed that is it is the same woman who is in the cold open. So that, like, that segue... That answered my question, yes, why we were seeing the cold open. Perfect for show watchers to be like, oh, I understand. She made it. Very good. Good boat quest, young girl. Um, Liana declares that they, or proclaims that they bring the false dragon. Um, And then he comes in chained. And here is, Kayla, your favorite moment of the season. Loghain Ablar, why are you here? Loghain goes into a monologue about how the White Tower used to be strong, how people used to respect the power of the White Tower. But now, now the women are weak. They will remember the people. They will remember that one man fought against nine mighty Aes Sedai. And I still staked that green bitch to the wall. So he's saying all of this to Sawan, the acting as he's, you watch him try to rile the anger in the Amerlin seat. 
try to awaken the thunder that he does so easily in Leandrin because we see her rage and her reaction to that sentence in particular. What does Suan do? She blinks. She slowly blinks and stares at him and then responds. But I don't have the words, but she was very calm. I am not so easily fooled. And then she responds to him. I'm not easily fooled, you buffoon. You think that I don't know that you're trembling right now, that you're weak because you've lost the power? Bitch, you're unchained because you're not a threat. And you're going to walk this whole city unchained because you are in a very deep depression that you will likely never recover from, that the sisters accidentally put you in because you weren't put on trial here. But regardless, you're powerless. You can't come for me, and I am not going to kill you, and I'm not going to grant you an easy death. He's dragged from the hall of the tower. and Screaming. Pleads. Kill me! Kill me! Begs for death. Uh, it won't be granted. And yeah, the scene of the two of them locking eye to eye, we'll come back to that again. We're just going quick breeze by of what happens. Um, Sawan summons Leandrin, Moraine, Alana to her, everyone else on their mission dismissed. Um, our laws exist to protect our people from us. You fucked up because you didn't follow the law. The law is not for you, you idiot. It is to ensure that the people of this world do not fear our power so much that they overthrow us. It is here so that everyone can exist in harmony. Tra-la-la-la-la. Um, then Leandrin steps up and she's like, hey, by the way, Maureen, I'm just going to sewer you for so many things. Um, but also, why did you hide Nynaeve's power? My most favorite line in this entire episode is when Leandrin turns to Maureen and says, sorry, sis, what did you say? The passive aggressiveness of Leandrin, no, like Kate Fleetwood is unmatched and I will die for her. That unparalleled, unparalleled. Who just casually throws a sis in there? Kate motherfucking Fleetwood, that's who. Um, and then we get Suan to Moraine. What is the purpose of your travels? Forgive me, mother, I cannot say. Cannot or will not kiss the fucking stone on your knees. On your knees, Suan to Moraine. And again, Moraine reiterates, I cannot say why or what she has been doing. Uh, they exit the Hall of the Tower after this, after learning that Moraine will be dealt with her punishment tomorrow. As they exit, Alana gets a snack from Maxime. I don't know if you picked up on that. I did tell you to watch Priyanka Bose every second that she is on screen. She picks up a little snack attack from her warder and she's snick snacking while Leandrin basically says like, girl, tomorrow is your day of reckoning. It's finally happening. Alana is crunching on maybe a peach, maybe it's a persimmon. I couldn't pick up what she was snacking on, but it looked delicious. Um, and that, that ends the Hall of the Tower. So opening scene, Kayla, Loghain, Suwan, Moraine on her knees, kissing marble. 
Give me your thoughts. There's a lot of intensity in this scene, just like mm-hmm. the tension between everybody. Like it's just, it, there's no like relief of tension happening here. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I do like the way that, that Logan's monologue is while he's talking, what he says, like it, what Swan says in response to him doesn't negate what he said. It only negates why he said it. She doesn't actually say anything about him being wrong. Um, And so I like that it plants that seed, you know, along with these other things that have been built up in this episode in the previous one about, you know, the vulnerability of the eyes to die, which we already have seen with, uh, you know, with the the white cloaks um, a little bit up to this point as well. Um, That while Loghain is unable to rile her to anger for his own benefits, what he says still has merit. Um, even if she's not willing to acknowledge it. And Swan and the masterful, you know, manipulator that she is, is able to spin that scenario such that, you know, Loghain ends up, you know, falling to pieces. His mask is gone. Um, you know, he's a shell of himself, right? That's right. She um, really centers so- it on his insecurities rather than like actually listening <laughs> to yes. uh, the and narrative, then- which is to say that like, I was able to say, I'm a man attacking the white tower and build an army around me. You're totally right. She completely dismissed that. She dismissed. Right. She ad hominem him right out of there. And, well, she also uh, didn't repeat it for anyone in the tower to get a second listen to. Yeah, no, that she was silenced his for voice. the sealed to the the flame. Maybe I guess is that what this hall is sealed to the hall? Anyway, um, so the but then I love the contrast to this. Logan does she doesn't bat an eyelash for Logan, but she loses her cool on Moraine supposedly. She um, sure as does, we see, right? Right, where she, you know, she raises her voice, you know, like she's literally shaking with, you know, the the intensity she puts into how she reacts to Moraine. The contrast in terms of like, you know, this this false dragon isn't going to get anything from me. You know, the performance that she's putting on is just masterful. Um, whereas like with Moraine, like just the the deflection of what Loghain says versus the deflection of what Moraine did based on her reaction to it. Like, and how she's steering people's reactions and, and what they think and what they believe. Like, you know, she's steering it just like that little boat, man, with one paddle. Let's go. <laughs> we got back to the boat. That's good because, you know, we haven't seen anything about her sailing her, her craft experience. So there, yeah. there will be so many boat metaphors. Just wait. So many fish. And fish. Um, yeah, Paragon, what do you walk away with from this Hall of the Tower first opening scene, notably the exchange between Swan and Moraine? Uh, so I was paying attention to a lot of the little details, and I think Swan did get angered by Logan. Oh, god, yeah. Uh, and that's essentially why the punishment was so harsh at the end because. She could have been like, we broke our laws. We're going to grant you some form of mercy and given him death. <laughs> something. Oh, that's um, not how the Aes Sedai work. They're like, oh, milk was spilled. Let's make it work to our advantage. 
Yeah, but she's like, I'm going to choose the cruelest thing I can possibly think of for you. Don't piss me off again. Um, and then counter that, yeah, like I think for Moraine, she does it to get the rise by going the opposite way. If she talked calmly, uh, it would have been the typical Aes Sedai thing to do. But she raises her voice and that's immediately going to get a reaction from the other sisters uh, because they're, they aren't expecting it. Uh, the same as when uh, Leandrin references that Solon was part of the blue Aja. Repeatedly. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And that's all that people there would probably focus on. The Leandrin is of the, all the Ajas and none. How dare you reference that she is of the blue and that she might have favoritism? None of the other ones ever have. Exactly. Not in history. Um, and then looking at the hall, I was curious about the seating arrangements. Uh, so you had Swan and Lily had red and green to either side, blue directly across, but there didn't seem to be anything on the seats to me that would indicate that that's where they would sit. There was no colors. Uh, it didn't line up with the petals on the floor. So do they change it every time they go in? Uh, it was um, the same when they were back in there the next day, but that could be part of the same proceeding. So who knows? Um, yeah, it was just a question. I. It's a good of. question for Rafe. Put it into your Dragon Mount questions. He's going to be answering them this Saturday. There he goes. That is a good question. This one about the the uh, arrangement of fishermen's friends. He was, but he's going to be answering any questions uh -huh. that you want this Saturday, December 17th on Dragon Mount starting at 1230 Eastern. I think he's going to be live. So if you want a question answered, you can just put it in there. That might be a good one because I that was certainly not something that came up on rewatch, which is how the Hall sisters pick their seat. Yeah. Continue. Uh, and the other thing that it brought up too there with uh, Leandrin going in on Moraine, we now know that women can't sense the ability to channel in each other uh, and don't necessarily know their strength. Although she knew Egwene's, she knew Egwene was strong because we hear that in episode two, I believe. Four with Lan, when Lan asks mm. whether or not Loghain is stronger than Egwene. Um, she just didn't, because Nynaeve had never channeled, she didn't oh, know that she could. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's not just an innate ability. It might be um, only when they hold the power that they can feel that... Uh, the strength. Yeah, which is, it's there in the books, just not the same. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Graham. This this opening scene in the Hall of the Tower. What was your impression, thoughts, rewatch? Was anything more clear after seeing the rest of the season? Uh, well, I love Swan's calmness and control of the conflict with Loghain. Loghain was obviously trying to um, antagonize and get her all upset and angry. And she was so calm and so still. And I hadn't thought about the anger side that uh, Peregrine just brought up, but that makes so much sense. It's like, oh, Loghain, fuck you to eternity. You are going to be in so much pain. You're welcome. Blinks, goes on to the next thing. Um, and then the exchange with Moraine, 
I don't understand, other than the fact that I Sedai have to speak the truth, why Moraine wouldn't come up with a tale about what she was doing. Because obviously Swan knew what Moraine was up to. And so I, what I can't piece together is why did Swan try to put her on the spot for that? And then Moraine evaded the answer. Because she can't, you know, she can't lie. She's so I, well, I guess I understand why Moraine couldn't spin a tale because she can't say untruths. But I don't know really why Swan put her on the spot. Other than it was the obvious question, because what the hell were you doing? What have you been doing for the last two years? And because you have been bullied and made it made that question be raised. And Swan could have taken control and asked it in such a way that she knew Moraine couldn't answer. Like if Swan and Moraine promised each other never to tell another. If sister, there was an oath rod, for example, doesn't need to be an oath. They could just make a promise to each other that they'd never tell another sister that they were what they were up to uh, to know their. I mean, it certainly hides their relationship, which they obviously want to keep to themselves. I'm sure some of the sisters may know, certainly Lan knows, but maybe that was just it. They just, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, Moraine, because then the public will know that you and I are not together, even though in the next scene in the FFH, we're obviously together. And if you recall, though, the scene in episode five, so you come back to Alana on the bed wearing boots, where she says, um, <laughs> there are two people in the tower who hate you, and they're the most powerful women, Leandrin and Swan. So it is the understanding of every Aes Sedai that Swan and Maureen hate each other. Right. And that is what they are projecting to the public. Uh, at least that's what Alana is eating up and is taking as the truth because she can speak it. Um, Leandrin uh, is has been presented in the past couple episodes as being, you know, the biggest rival to the Amarillo seat itself. She right. is put it, being put up there like I am a real woman to be reckoned with. More people are listening to Leandrin. And the Amarlin seat herself after getting all of that politicking. Now we're seeing in this scene, Leandrin manipulating that and basically putting Suwan on the spot and being like, hey, your fellow blue was doing some shady shit. Are you going to call it up, like call her on it? Or are you going to play favorites and try to dismiss this? And she puts that to Suwan, the Amarlin seat. And really, what choice does Suwan have but to say, uh, <laughs> I'm going to put a question to Maureen that I know she can't answer, so that we'll have to deal with this tomorrow. In the meantime, we'll be able to have a little tete-a-tete to talk about Compare notes. how we're going to deal with this. Because it's been a minute. Um, yeah, so it's... it's otherwise, I mean, I enjoyed the exchanges. I thought the stuff was good. There was a lot of stuff I knew that as a non-reader, I had no fucking clue what was going on. Like, I, it was just one of those things where they were doing the exchanges and there was words, this thing, and I didn't know what they all meant. But I loved Logan's speech. So, Kayla, when you talked about uh, that being your favorite scene, I love that scene. My favorite line of the episode comes when Moraine's introducing uh, Egwene and Nynaeve to 
That's my favorite line of the episode. <laughs> but this this falls close. You, you, you'll know the obviously know the line I'm referring to. I just thought it was just so brilliantly done and just it was so much fun. Anyway, I love the scene. A lot of tension, a lot of things, a lot of things moving forward, and a lot of introspection on the Ayas Sedai, but a lot of it went over my head. Okay, but it's one of those, I feel like it's one of those things that you will circle back to on rewatches and not just of this season, but of this series, because there Makes is sense. a lot there. Yeah. Um, so from uh, Snack Time Mortar, we move on to Maureen sipping some tea, and she is scouting out. Uh, we then, you know... Two walking behind her. (laughs) Misses that while she's sipping tea, gets up, follows Lan, goes to see Rand and Matt. Uh, This is another of your favorite moments. Your boys, Rand and Matt, in the hotel room alone. They've been snuggling. Matt looks the worst ever. Um, Maureen approaches, Lan pulls a sword. Land screams, he hasn't channeled, he hasn't channeled, Pulls tries to pull a sword on Lan, uh, who promptly disarms him, binds his hand behind his back in a way that is very indicative that he's about to snap it if Rand makes a single motion. Um, Moraine looks at Matt and says, oh, you stupid boy discovers the dagger. You took this from Shadar Logoth. Hold them down. And then Rand and Lan <laughs> both hold Matt down. She pulls the disease, the sickness of Nashadar from him. Oh, it comes on her right. mouth. Evil she lovers. Everything. Evil, <laughs> evil lover is pulled from Matt. Um, is eventually released. The darkness is pulled from him. We then get a nice little thank you from Rand to Moraine on the balcony. Nynaeve rolls out and Moraine is like, you shit. You knew he was sick. You're a healer and you risked his life by not telling me how sick he was. Uh, If wisdom is the title you claim, I suggest you start using some. Boom. Um, Mic drop. This is basically the only Matt and Rand scene that we get of the episode, notwithstanding like the end, which is a different thing, and we'll talk about it. But this is basically mm-hmm. it for, for Matt and Rand as the traveling duo. Um, so Kayla, as our attorney. The end of the road for them. The end of the road for our boys. Uh, how did this hit you? on rewatch and with all of the understanding of book knowledge and the changes that the show made to the books and the cleansing of the dagger yada yada um what what did you feel with this scene um i thought that it was a little heavy on like the like the the ick factor of like you know the the grossness of shadar like of the actual like physical manifestation of the goo Um, I didn't get as much of like the existential dread factor, though, that we kind of had from the previous episode with Nynaeve and like, you know, Matt's like attitude, right, where it it hadn't like, sure, yeah, like he's, it's killing him, but it also is changing. Um, 
And then in this episode, like when, when Maureen arrives, Matt's just like relieved. He's like, okay, you know, or like, you know, bless him. He tries something like when, when Rand like pulls his sword out for that, which I thought was adorable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he tries. <laughs> right. But other than like the actual, like being purged of what's inside of him, all of us here having read the eye of the world, um, in in the the book version of that, like he is like speaking like bile and vileness to Moraine and everyone else in the room, and things that you know uh, uh, Matt Coffin from Emmons Field should not be able should not know. You know, there's this sort of like uh, spiritual dread that exists in terms of Shadar Logoth and the like the dagger and the infection that exists in him that does not seem to be as present, which makes me wonder if um, that aspect of like Matt's plot line, um, you know, and how it like affected him in that particular arc of the journey isn't really going to be a thing, which like I would be okay with because Dagger Matt's a jerk. But I did enjoy the ending of that scene, the part that you were just talking about where um, where Moraine is like, you guys are fucking dumb. You need to stop acting like uh, like stupid little children. Um, a little offended on Nynaeve's behalf because she has good reason not to trust the eyes to die. But also at the same time, like your boy was infected with evil flubber. So like maybe, <laughs> so maybe ask the... as evil flubber. Or maybe find another eyes to die if you don't trust Moraine. <laughs> right. Like you just went into a tower full of like yellow sisters, you know? I don't know. Um, I did also enjoy, you know, Rand very sincerely thanking Moraine for what he did. Like it shows that that is part of who Rand is as well. Like he was ready to kill them to, to protect Matt, uh, which shows that ultimately he was just worried about his friend. Um, and then she saved him. And so he says, thank you, because he's, he's a good boy. And he's willing to recognize that he may have been a little hasty in his reactions. And recognizes it quick, Exactly. Too, because he also Is that boy loyal? Uh, that hold part? back down. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's not in yes. this room. At the, end, is he? at the end with many. Yeah. Like, he comes out at the balcony. Okay. But, like, he's not... He's he's not, not he doesn't, and he doesn't really say there. too much. No, I think Moraine just treats him as builder, and <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. She, I don't think she references needing him later. Not there. Point. No. Uh, how did how did this one hit you? Knowing how the season goes, mm -hmm. I think they're going to do a rewrite for season two. Mm -hmm. uh, Moraine was very sure that she drew all of the sickness out of the him. badness. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Uh, you see her put it back into the dagger, it looks like, then Lan wraps up the dagger and it yep. goes away. Um, but I think there may be another bit to that. Layer in, to it. In season two. Maybe he grabs a dagger again. Uh, well, that Pat and we've already seen with the dagger. And yeah, we don't know what happens when Matt in episode eight. doesn't go in, so maybe there'll be a flashback in episode mm -hmm. two. He comes in contact with it. Or, it, yeah, it just never was fully uh, drawn out from him. Um, the one thing I did miss from this, uh, going through the scene in the books, uh, when um, Maureen goes into the the room and uh, sees Matt for the first time, uh, that part kind of stays the same. But then Matt tries to stab her and i'm pretty sure in the books 
it's written that basically Lan just appears and grabs his hand. And I was really hoping that that would just happen because he's off screen holding Rand. Yeah. And I was hoping that his like Lan's hand would just suddenly appear and stop Matt holding the dagger instead of Maureen channels and uh, pulls it out of his hand. Just a little thing, but was one of my favorite like standout moments in the book where I could remember kind of how it was written. Right. Um, that Matt was just there. Oh, ninja, ninja moment for Lan. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he was just holding Matt's hand still. Uh, and I think right, it, he said, hardly he's seemed, strong. Yeah, it, it hardly seemed like he was trying, and Matt was putting all of his effort into it. Um, but other than that, I, I did like the scene. Uh, they could have gone deeper into what it was actually doing to Matt, but I also don't think that necessarily plays out later on. So I don't think it's necessary for who Matt becomes for how how deep he goes right yeah um Graham as someone who has flipped through I have found uh quickly <laughs> spit hug the pages by my eyes with no retention um uh so I just got to think back through the scene so I believe at the beginning uh Moraine does talk to Loyal when she's having tea does she not no no, you see Loyal comes later. That mm-hmm. conversation. Oh, when she has her exchange and says, I need you to do me a favor, basically that's the next scene. Yeah, the only thing you see Loyal, him and Nynaeve walk through the background. Yeah, with the Nynaeve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so the dagger stuff, I mean, good uh graphical exposition of the bad flubber coming out of his soul. Evil flubber, sorry, coming out of his soul. Uh, unnecessary thing, the little struggle with Rand, obvious and had to be done. I thought Land handled it well and then went to the back of the scene. Uh, I mean, enjoyable, but again, I'm listening to you guys talk about it. A lot more stuff there or not there or that ties into other things. Didn't pick it up. (laughs) I just didn't know, but it was enjoyable to watch. Good. Yeah. Uh, so the graphics of the Mashadar on no, that was cool. face. That was very Lord of the Rings-ish kind of uh, thing. And you know, they're very consistent between the white weave and the black evil. And they kept that stuff. So you knew it was bad. It was coming out. I love the way it went over uh, Moraine's face. So that it kind of went into her soul, but she was able to master it. It was very good. At the uh-huh. scene at the end where Moraine puts Nynaeve in her place, I loved it. <laughs> hey, kids, you're not in the two rivers anymore. <laughs> Wake the fuck up. You're in bad times. It's time to act like adults. Off we go. That's what I picked up from that. And I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah. She has a way of being direct through passive aggressiveness. <laughs> Um, right, but I'm like, I'm still on the train at this point of like, why should these people trust her? You know, right, right. Who has particularly displayed herself not to be trustworthy. So, and, and to be a little secretive, be I get it. Um, I will say what I missed, and I don't know if editing was done knowing that in post production, knowing that Barney wasn't coming back. All I will say about this scene in particular is that I missed Matt. And I wish we would have seen more of Matt's perspective. And I wish we could have mm. had some more Matt and Maureen moments instead of making him kind of the backdrop 
to this scene mm-hmm. because he mm-hmm. should have been more in my mind as a forever master. Mm-hmm. Uh, he should have been more at the forefront of this. And I wish that we could have seen him and Moraine's battle a little bit more about Mashadar and, and, and really dealt with the consequences. Like, yes, we got Moraine on the balcony. Yes. We got Rand thanking her. Yes. We got her telling Nynaeve off, but what about how Matt was doing? Um, that's what I cared about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, was he just snoozing? If, if if he's just snoozing, just just show me him snoozing. Because it's been a hard day. But give him like some right. acknowledgement. Like give like, Rand a moment to like kiss his forehead or something. Just something. A little caress. A gentle back of the hand cheek stroke. They saved that for after mm-hmm. Rand went back. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. I do I do appreciate the that this scene, um, the way that all of the tension with Matt and Rand has been built up is this whole that Matt has channeling sickness. Yes. You know, that all of this, I mean, like, I think people know there's something hinky about the dagger, right? Because that was not suspicious at all, of course. Um, Everything is fine. All of the tension, especially with how the scene um, in episode five, when Loghain is coming through the city and how he like looks and then he sees Matt and then he laughs, that whole thing. Um, that this is the scene where it's like, oh, okay, so he's not a channeler. He's just infected with evil flubber. Okay. Um, and yeah, which, like Rand like, screaming, you know, he hasn't channeled. He hasn't channeled. Like, Rand, baby, why are you so sure he hasn't channeled if he's going insane? Like, were th- was there a conversation right. with you and Matt? Like, did you and Matt ever talk about what channeling feels like? I would like to know this as a watcher and a partial shipper. <laughs> Rand's facial expressions when he is talking with Maureen, though, uh, it almost goes from relief that Matt can't be the dragon. Right. And then Maureen uh, says something like, well, there's no guarantee that he can't. And you just see something go across uh, Rand's face and like, oh, I thought I was in the clear that my friend would be okay, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, so on the whole, and like, I, there's I, some hindsight uh, in terms of yeah, yes. that's all happening as well. <laughs> Everything, uh, which we can definitely like talk about on rewatch. Like, watch. I mean, there's not a lot to watch of Rand in this episode. <laughs> we have that one moment. No. Um, but get, yeah, it, it is, is a nice. It is a nice moment, though. It's a good it's, scene. It's a nice moment, but I will say, on the whole, this scene in particular left me wanting as a book reader. Um, it's nice. I will watch it on screen. Uh, it happens, but I miss because we know how talented of an actor Barney Harris is. I wonder how much we are missing from having him be so absent in this pivotal moment. Um, and yeah, the vitriol that he spews at Moraine, um, the evilness that he espouses just verbally at her. We don't get any of it. We get one attempt and then basically she shuts him down. So and other people that he knows, I'm pretty sure he goes pretty hard in on mm-hmm. too. Night, right. He says something to Nynaeve about her, like being like a pretty girl, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very creepy. Yeah. And we, and we don't really get any of that. So whether it was filmed, whether it was there and they just decided to cut it because Barney wasn't going to be continuing with us. I don't know. Um, they filmed it like he was fully healed. Yeah. And everything was happy and hunky-dory. 
Um, either way, it left me a little bit wanting, and I will say that about about that particular moment. Uh, but from there to the baths, because Moraine is feeling unclean, she's had the evil of Mashadar upon her. She's going to get dirt, like she's going to get clean. She goes, Megan comes for a chat and she's like, uh, usually we get tea, but sure, I guess we'll get naked together and have a bath. And Maureen is like, I've been on the road for two years in a saddle. Obviously, this is where I'm going to be. Take my meetings with me here. We hear about the eyes and ears. Megan's, you know, getting a little bit better with her networking. She basically... Well, we know she orders Moraine to stay in the tower for a bit and like collect herself um, that Suwan is pissed at her. Leandrin's pissed at her. Moraine needs to be more present than ever. Um, Moraine is interrupted while they're talking by, you know, someone else dropping a note, which pisses Megan off. I think it was just a flower. Mm-hmm. A little yellow flower. Yeah. Uh, Letting, which of course is to let her know that Perrin and Egwene have arrived. Uh, she basically says, uh, "Thank you so much, Megan, but I got to go." Um, and Maureen, then we I see her bang. dress. She's she's leaving. I like you wouldn't get it, but I, I, there's just other places, other people I need to be with. Maureen leaves dressed. She walks with a yellow sister, and we know she's a yellow sister because she's attired in all yellow. Um, and walks in on Perrin and Egwene. Egwene, of course, is very happy to see her. Perrin, we get almost, I don't even think we get a single word from Perrin no, this episode. No, he, the entire time. he does not say anything. He's just laying on his back, and we learn a little bit about the yellow Aja from this. We don't see his scars from the knife marks. All we hear is that the yellow Aja are taking care of him, and there are no better healers. And it will be like there are no scars at all. Or it will be like this never happened. And Egwene is like, yeah, externally, but let's talk about the internal. Also, can we talk about wolves? Because his eyes went yellow like a wolf. And he kind of like talked to them for a second. And um, maybe Perrin can talk to wolves. Does that mean he's the dragon? And Moraine is like, cool, 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 cool. Tell no one, baby girl. But also could be the dragon. Who's to say? <laughs> uh smash to black. Kayla, parent, dragon, Megan, bathing, thoughts generally on this little fun transition through a day in the life of Moraine. So I like that the bath scene was sort of like an ode to that Dusty Whale episode where we talked about sex and the wheel of time and how my desire was for the was for non-sexual nudity right which we get in this scenario and especially with the body diversity that we see you know we have older women we've got fat women we've got you know just lots going on there of just like women being women like tits out having a fine time um i would re- i also remarked that the yellow aja person that was escorting moraine back was also was you know ah we have the chubby eyes that i love that love the representation there um <laughs> i will say that this scene um, not to like mention WatCon again, but at WatCon, we had a couple of panels, which we called five minutes in heaven. And the five minutes in heaven panels were where we got to add five minutes to any episode. We can't change anything, can't take anything away, but we could add five minutes of something. 
And one of the, the panels that I was on was for this episode. And so part of my five minutes in heaven was for this scene with Perrin um, and Egwene and things that are going on there of just trying to add in something more about his like yellow eyed, like possible wolf problem that he's got going on, because I feel like there's just not enough here. Um, it's like it scratches the surface and it it throws in a little bit more of like, oh, so maybe there's something hinky going on with Perrin, too. But we're not sure. Could be something, could be nothing. Don't tell anyone anyway, because, you know, you should definitely trust me, but don't trust any of these other bitches um, is kind of what Moraine is going for here. So um, I do like the, again, we're setting up layers of intrigue and in how Moraine focused this episode is of how Moraine is playing the game like to the hilt. Um, and no, actually, we probably shouldn't trust her, um, but she does know stuff, so she could be useful. So it's like, we're still not quite sure if, like, you know, whose side she's on. Like, who are we rooting for? Like, are we on Team Moraine and we want her success? Are we on the Team Emmons Field and we want them to be safe and, like, and to have their and success? There... And do they, right, are they mutually successful or is, like, What's happening, right? It's. I mean, especially because we get in, that like, in the in the last time, like we get the reminder that Nynaeve had said, "If they enter the city, will you tell me?" And then we see very clearly that Moraine goes both to Rand and Matt, and Egwene and Perrin, and doesn't tell Nynaeve. And it's very careful yeah. to say, I will know when they get here. Yes. I have it on good authority that there's... I have watchers. That's it. Like, yeah. I have watchers and does not share with Nynaeve that people are there, but then already knows that Nynaeve has gone to see them. And then, you know, I'm going to call it gaslighting a little bit, tries to blame Nynaeve for not coming to her when Moraine also knew that they were there and hasn't told Nynaeve. Like, the double standard that Moraine has for Nynaeve. But I think what she was upset with in the double standard was that how sick Matt was. That was sure. what she laid into Nynaeve about, that Nynaeve, you're a healer. You should have, like, fessed up a little bit. You should have come to me. But also, what about Nynaeve being the wisdom of Lemon's field and seeing how, how hurt Perrin is and Moraine doesn't say to Nynaeve, by the way, like if it's clearly not a relationship with equals, which I think is what we can see in this episode, For right? Sure. And that that is kind of like, do we trust Moraine? Do we trust her because she's Rosamund Pike? <laughs> or do we trust her because like as a as a watcher and a, a quick reader of book one. I have no reason not to trust her. Okay. You guys have a lot more baggage of 13 books to follow. At the moment, as a watcher, I still trust her. And I still think she is the voice of authority that the, the sorry, Two Rivers characters need to follow. That's what I pick up as a watcher. And so I will, what I will say in, in, in terms of weighing in on this in commentary is that you're also coming at this from an older lens. Uh, and everyone oh. I know who I know I'm a, I'm offensive. Um, everyone I know who's picked up the series sub 20, like under 20 years old, off the hop, this older woman comes in and tries to boss them around. Moraine is not immediately trustworthy. 
First-time readers who are over the age of 20, Moraine comes in, usually their favorite character. Not my favorite, but I again, I equate her to a Gandalf type thing who I trusted explicitly. Uh, so to me so far, I have no reason not to trust her. That being said, I did pick up on the double speak about, I'll let you know. Oh, she, sorry, she didn't say that. She was careful how she said that. I have watchers when they come in. I will know. Yes. But she didn't say, I'll tell you. So I, I picked up on the double speak, and I'm still not sure why she would have hidden that from that. Just trying to keep them all apart, trying to figure out who the dragon is, I guess, at this point. But also kind of Moraine as a person, because as we learn in episode three, dinners with her would be the worst because she doesn't speak to anyone about anything, and it's impossible to get to know her. She doesn't let her need to have an Amazon X-ray moment. I'm going to take the x-ray moment, right? There we go. So I find it very interesting that you look at Moraine as a Gandalf character and immediately mark that as, okay, we can trust this person. Because in audiobooks, at the end of them, um, I think starting around book four, there's an interview with Robert Jordan. And one of the very first things that he talks about is how in the genesis of the Wheel of Time, he thought, okay, so what would happen in a more realistic situation, if you had this wise wizardly character who just tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, you're meant to save the world, you would think, huh, you're fucking crazy. And you would shut the door in their face. You would not trust them um, because in a more realistic situation, you're like, bro, what the hell? Um, and so this sort of like we as fantasy nerds coming into this, like you know, as fantasy people, I do think that we are trained to have this sort of that trust for the wise wizardly mm -hmm. figure um, and um, that it's possible maybe people that aren't quite so steeped in the genre um, might question her motives a little bit more. And I do think this episode is trying to get us to ask those questions like, okay, what is motivating her? What's going on here? Especially once we see in the next scene, we'll discuss that she and she and uh, Swan are not just in cahoots, uh, they're into some other stuff as well. FFH. So, but if we flip back to Frodo, he did not trust Gandalf at first. It was the fear of the Black Riders that got him out, right? So he left because he was scared and then he had to trust Gandalf, but Gandalf wasn't there, right? So mm. anyway. It, but like you, was, you as a reader are like, Gandalf, good. Frodo, yes. trust. Yes. But Bilbo also didn't trust him. Right. And then the dwarf just showed up and had a party. Sensible hobbit. Yeah. Sensible. <laughs> Partying with 13 dwarves. Uh, one thing I did like about this scene uh, is, again, um, kind of that casual nudity. Yeah. Uh, and I, we call it the baths, but I didn't ever see anyone go into a bath, a bath or a water. It seemed more like a sauna to me or a Turkish bath. Uh, I will call it the Tarvalon sweat tent. I see. Okay. Some good, you know, layering for, for later. Layering. You don't get it. Keep looking. Turkish baths. <laughs> we'll call it Tarvalon baths. To me, there are Turkish baths, which is what the Turkish bath is, is a sauna, basically. And yeah. So Rooted in real world. Real world. Um, it was the steam room. Yes. So uh, from... Moraine getting sweaty in the baths and then getting uh, sweaty over ignorance. 
We move to the fantasy fuck hut. Fisherman's friend hut. The <laughs> have a sore throat. <laughs> the, the sexy cheering reel. Um, this this is probably one of my favorite moments from the entire episode. We see Moraine a little nervous getting herself ready. Um, her hair is let down. She's actually done her makeup. Uh, it's been two years. It's been a time. She is clearly preparing. Um, it looks like she thinks about letting her hair down too when she does it. Yeah. Like she almost hesitates. She's like, do I lift it up? Do I take it down? Right. She's do? she's questioning. And um, I haven't personally been in a long distance relationship, but uh, would love for anyone to weigh in if you have, because it felt very real to me. That it's been a bit and you're excited and a lot also a lot nervous. It reminds me of when my cousin flew. Um, so so my cousin and her husband, when they first started dating, they dated for a few months and then he flew uh to yeah. teach in South Korea. So he was going to be teaching in South Korea oh, wow. for a year. They'd only been dating a few months. She went out to visit him around their one-year anniversary, but they probably hadn't seen each other in about eight months. And I remember talking to her about this, and she flew with a carry-on and a checked bag because she was going for about a month. And she had planned that when she landed in Singapore, which was the destination before South Korea, that she was going to go into the airport and just kind of tidy herself up before seeing her partner and I was I was asking her I was like how do you feel like and what she what she expressed was like I'm so nervous I'm so excited I'm so nervous though and I just want to make sure that I'm not like a complete shitbag of a human when I meet him because you know a 20-hour flight is quite a bit to go so I want to make sure that everything is clean as much as I can before I get off the plane and greet him because it's been a bit uh, and that's what this scene reminded me of was Moraine being like, it's been two years. I'm just getting off the road. I've been home a day. I went to the sweat tents today to get myself cleaned up for my girl tonight because I know that's where I'm headed. So I'm getting showered. I'm getting clean. Does she like my hair up? Does she like my hair down? I think down. Right. <laughs> Is it going to be business or country? Yeah. But like the right, nervousness. Like has- has the distance made the heart grow fonder or like, <laughs> is she genuinely mad at me? Like there are lots of question marks happening here. Yeah. And I think we see a lot of that. And it's really cool to see her vulnerability um, that I think a lot of people can relate to. And then of course we get a great moment with her and land because land doesn't get a Love lot that. of moments today. Um, and he just implicitly understands like he comes in, he's like, you masked my bond. And yes, that will come back. It made me feel like, I should be able to feel where you are. And she was like, baby boy, you do not want to be feeling what's about to go down. <laughs> and he always says is be back before dawn. And then give her my love. Give her my love. And he's going to guard the door. And what a beautiful example without a lot of words of Maureen and Lance relationship stand out yep. moment to me. Um, she channels before the Tirang reel. This was one of the moments from the sizzle reel, or maybe it was the trailer where everyone was dissecting and we're like, oh my God, we're going to see Moraine's accepted test. 
We're a bunch of idiots. No, we're not. It's just her getting ready for her girl looking fly as fuck. Right. She's you know, wearing her nightgown. She's, in, she's in her Scrooge McDuck nightgown. Oh my God. <laughs> right. She's missing her dressing cap. <laughs> but she goes. Uh, Suwan is already waiting there. She's wearing some sort of like sexy towel dress. I don't even understand. Has she gone swimming in the river? Maybe. She's a tear girl. She's a Terran. She could have. Um, she's waiting. They're talking to each other. We get the no life, no love of one's own, nothing but the seat. And Maureen's response is, when have we ever followed the rules? You've been gone such a long time. We think they're going for a kiss and Moraine. And by the way, improved by Rosamund Pike. My second favorite line of the episode. Not written in the script. Moraine to Suwan in that moment on your knees. And she goes. Iconic. And my girl gets got. And I laughed the first time I heard it because even a only watcher, no book person, no idea if that plays back in the books at some point. I thought it was a great circular in the in the TV show. And I just loved it the last three times I've watched it getting ready for this episode. I just thought it was a great. It's the best. It's the best. For it's the fucking iconic. Um it, Rosamund Pike is it was in that moment truly that like watching this as a lover of the series. And when I found out that Rosamund Pike truly improvised that line, I was like, yeah, that's Maureen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. I will not be taking questions. And uh, she understands, she understands Maureen more thoroughly than I in my 22 years of reading this series ever have. Uh, I bow, I bow to my queen. Um, she's amazing. Um, so, you know, they have a beautiful, sexual affair that we like we don't see on screen a little disappointing but okay whatever keep it PG on your knees to the cut over when they're sitting on the couch she's on the bed i guess it's like a glane and rand where she's in wearing the sex blanket yeah. whatever and then they get the... later wrapped around tam yes <laughs> <laughs> hey tam you may want to scrape that off never mind never girl. mind it's okay tam just drape it around your shoulders but then we get into the real meat of the relationship between Maureen and Suwan. And of course, it comes down to their brilliance, their shared passion, their shared drive. We get to hear them talk about what it is that has brought them to this point. I felt like why they can't be together, why Suwan is the animal and why Maureen has been out of the tower for 20 years, why they can never talk about it, why they haven't been able to see each other in two years. I found the dragon. Um, P.S. It's one of five. Like it used to be one of four, but Nynaeve is like super powerful. Hey, so could maybe still be her. Like she's strong as shit. Uh, if another sister finds out what we've been doing, we'll be stilled. You little puffer fish. Uh, great moment. And then Moraine asking Suwan that uh, when you tomorrow when you sentence C, it must be exile. Megan has ordered me to stay in the tower. So we get Moraine 
asking Suwan to exile her. So this is truly their last night together because Moraine cannot come back to the tower to visit the FFH, the sexy Terangriel. She can't take that with her. Until Suwan calls her back. Until Suwan. But she has to have a reason to call her back. But Moraine and Suwan both know that this is going to be their last night. And then we don't get to see any of it. They just say, and then they fucked. If we could have the subtitle one month later. <laughs> one month later. <laughs> a thorough fuckering was had. Um, but yeah, uh, Graham, FFH, the fucking. How did it treat you? I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. Very one good. is just a fantasy fan, uh, or as an old white guy. Oh, God. The old white guy says, why did they take the scene of those two out of this this the sequence? I, it's what I've been waiting the whole episode, the whole series to watch. But as a fantasy fan, not required, but a beautiful combination scene, and the way it ended with the two power brokers talking about their plan going forward and everything. Again, it put layers on Moraine that you hadn't seen before. And the respect, obviously, that Swan has for her. So Swan, the most powerful person in the world, respects Moraine and trusts her opinion probably more than anybody else's. So you get that level. And I will also draw that parallel back to Lord of the Rings because Gandalf was not the dude, right? He was number two behind Saruman. And Saruman was leader of I'm not saying that Gandalf You're and Sauron saying Gandalf thing. and Sauron had a little thing and no, they were writing that fan fiction. Thank you so much. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but that parallels with Moraine as a number two or three kind of person in her order, very important. It was kind of an interesting parallel to me. But uh, again, enjoyable scene. Love the conflict. Love the interaction with the characters. But it didn't do a whole much to the overall plot to me yet. Okay. I respectfully disagree regarding plot, but I also know where shit's going. Uh, Peregrine. couple little layered things in there. Okay, with the hit, plot. hit me with the onions. Uh, did, does Swan not ward her dreams? In the first book, we definitely learned that that's a thing that mm-hmm, exists. Mm-hmm. Just a thought I had as they were casually having a conversation uh although this isn't a dream no but um isn't she talks about a dream where she talks about the dreams uh and seeing the dark one at the eye of the world uh so either that is real or she doesn't and someone can get in and make her dance right as it were oh shit (laughs) okay continue and i mean we we learn that it is straight up like it is a trap yeah, so to speak. Uh, it's like, part of this scene. Yeah, uh, go ahead. The, the the other part of it is they almost talk as if they can get ahead of it, but like I'm sure that they've read the prophecy. They reference the prophecies, but They're, they doubt them so much because they don't know yeah. if it's a man or a woman. They don't know how much to believe. It's been three thousand years, and like quite frankly, if someone told me. That like, hey, leave your son and husband and run into a desert. I don't know, save the world. Maybe, maybe three percent chance I would like actually take that advice. So like, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt about prophecies and shit. It it, 
it seems like they're ignoring some of the important ones that mm -hmm. might come before the last battle that they're seem to be rushing towards. Um, but do you think that she truly believes that this is the last battle? I don't know. They, they talked about me in the dark one at the eye. Right. Uh, so that was weird that they seem so careful and then suddenly they're they're not without really looking at the the big picture of it and that could just be because they think they see a chance and they they want to go for it but yeah those were a couple of little things uh definitely appreciated them including this in yeah yeah it was nice to uh to see that but also um nice to see a level of humanity in Moraine, uh, where she can have feelings, but then also humor. Yeah. And uh, Moraine truly at her most vulnerable. Yeah. Where she needs to be, like, we actually see Moraine being comforted for the first time, where mm -hmm. she's like, I can't sleep. And Swan's like, yeah, you can, because I'm here and I'm going to stroke your forehead until you fall asleep. I got you, boo. And a good reference to the, the multi-headed dragon, uh, one, because that is something that exists in, in our fantasy where, uh, you know, sometimes you'll hear about that. And I would argue that that does come from the books, not verbatim, but it's made very clear that Rain can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. In fact, there might be a speech about it in a book. I can't quote it right now. So but the only multi <laughs> the only multi-headed dragon I know is that really bad CGI from Willow. Yeah, the two-headed dragon. Go back and watch Willow. That's exactly what they're talking about with the multi-headed okay. dragon. I'll pick that up. I've seen from that. From 1988. So. Uh that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dragon. Dude, the, what's manifesting in my head right now is just the purple hydra from the Disney Hercules. Right. Oh, that's, so that's, that's what's going mind. on in my yeah. brain right that's now. That's the same one. So if you haven't seen the movie Willow, imagine that with two heads, an ugly goiter under the chin, breathing fire, and trying to attack a small little dwarf type guy. It's really brilliant. Can't recommend it enough. Love Best that. movie. Love that. Uh, Kayla, Swarain hits you one year ago. You're watching this for the first time. I would like to preface it by saying that Moraine, like this scene with Moraine and Lan, like before they yep. go to the yep. fantasy flat cut, they're just adorable. Like they're their adorable. relationship, the like as it's been set up in various scenes with them, starting with like, you know, the bath in episode one. And then later we have the scene like, you know, with them in the tent in episode four um, and the, you know, on the road when like Moraine is sick and Nynaeve comes upon them and all of that. They're just the dynamic that has been set up for Moraine and Lan as these like ride or die, like, you know, friends really is honestly better than what we get in the books. It's just there the you can, there's more that we can see. And like in the way that Daniel Henney plays Lan um, just really makes their relationship just sparkle. Um, like they're just like, I need the I need the fan cams on YouTube where the edits of just Moraine and Land being adorable together. Um, as far as like them, like I think it, enough's been said really about Swan and Moraine. Like you guys have nailed it. Like they're just it's a the the dynamic that those two have with each other is very um, 
like the combination of like both like tenderness and genius that they have like like what a power couple <laughs> like yeah i love the way you put it, that by that uh, tenderness and genius yeah. that's a beautiful combination yeah it's really it's especially since they are together the responsibility that they have taken upon themselves for what is essentially saving the world and you know the stewardship of whatever you know, situation may arise with the Dragon Reborn, very high stakes, you know, a lot of stress happening there, um, that it's still, we're able to have these moments with just, you know, the two women with each other is is really wonderful. Um, and as well, like in, in the fantasy genre, like, you know, with queer representation being neither here nor there, I do also appreciate that these are two, like, not just adult women, but they are older adult women. You know, these are like, we, I said I age is like whatever, but you know, Sophie and Rosamond both being like, you know, 40s women in their forties, forties and fifties. I think Sophie is in her forties, but I think Sophie Okinado is in her fifties. Yeah. She is. Um, Good looking 50 year old. It's very difficult to tell because my first memory of Sophie Okinado is in Ace Ventura when nature calls <laughs> and she doesn't look very different. <laughs> I said, I, maybe they don't age. <laughs> wow. I didn't know right? Think about it. She was the she was the princess. The spitball okay. scene. <laughs> okay, anyway, now that that's all in your head. <laughs> all I can remember is, is Ace Ventura talking through his butt. But that was well, yeah. Thing. Jim Carrey. Not but then also <laughs> Sophie. <laughs> but like yeah, a um, lot of racist tropes in that movie. Poo boy. <sighs> um, poo boy, yeah. Um, I uh, just major points for for this whole sequence there with just um, how we're sort of subverting some of these fantasy tropes and like the relationships that we see, um, you know, have a queer relationship, have this really strong friendship between a man and a woman. Um, just it's uh, in, in the midst of all of this chaos and darkness and uncertainty, we do have this moment of these two women who are able to lean on each other um, even if they don't have all the answers. And yeah. not clear-cut power dynamics like we so often see mm. in uh, fantasy and TV. Like, first see it with Maureen and Lan, where uh, she questions if Lan's giving her an order. Yeah. Um, and Lan's just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, did it sound like a question? <laughs> <laughs> you will be back before dawn. Uh, and then again, with Maureen and Swan, where you expect Swan to clearly be uh, the more powerful in that situation. On your knees, baby girl. Uh, yeah, I mean, I will say, and I, a lot of this has been taken from conversations uh, with Jenny especially, but like other humans in it. Um, I appreciated watching this. I mean, I was screaming that they were actually making Swarain a thing on TV. I couldn't believe it. You were, you were literally screaming. I screamed a lot. I didn't know why. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes, they're doing it. Yes. I really like we'd heard rumors that like Rafe was maybe gonna go there with it, but um the fact that it was made because I mean it is canon, it happens in the books. The unfortunate part is that what Robert Jordan decided to do throughout the series is like he wrote, and this isn't, I don't think this is spoilers for the series. All I'm going to say is that in the books, not the prequel, Robert Jordan basically said that um, the dalliance between Moraine and Suan was but a phase 
Tis a passing schoolgirl fantasy, but don't worry, they're both super hetero, um, <laughs> which is kind of dismissive. One, it's, it's bisexual erasure, um, but also, two, it's dismissive of the real feels that we see that they have in New Spring with the prequel for each other. So I had a lot of issues with that in general, and I was wondering how the show would portray it. So to see Soiree on screen, still together, it's been 20 years, they're still fighting the good fight, they still respect the fuck out of each other, they'll still fuck each other's brains out, everything is there. Um, One thing that, in hindsight, like, I, I know I've made jokes about, like, not showing it on screen, Um, But one thing I actually do appreciate is that they centered this on the female gaze rather than the male gaze. They Mm. didn't make this about what the old white guy might think about two women. Um, They made it about just like the love that they have for each other and, and the passion. And it wasn't about, it wasn't about sexualizing their sexuality. It was about, their bond making sure that everyone knew how the depths of their love how much they each give to the other person the fact that we are in suwan's childhood home effectively rebuilt um the fact that moraine is fretting about whether her hair should be up or down we see these women at their most vulnerable but we don't have to see the insides of each other to truly understand that. Um, so there's not the same thing as when Egwene is getting stripped down in episode five, right? You don't have to sexualize the female body. You don't have to put it on display for the male gaze. It can just simply be a very powerful romantic scene and that's it. So I appreciated the hell out of that on initial watch, on rewatch, uh, every time I watch this, it just makes me so happy. I'm so happy. Um, on the Wheel Takes uh, Discord server, there is a little emoji of Rafe Judkins with a giant wrench um, that we lovingly term Rafe Fix It. Uh, this is one of those moments that I feel Rafe really fixed it from the series. Uh, have nothing, have nothing but good thoughts about. Um, it was a really good that. summary of the relationship. And yeah, as much as I kid about old white guys wanting to see the two girls get it on, women get it on, sorry. Um, it was beautifully done. And yes, you can see the love, the respect, and the mutual adoration that goes through them. In all seriousness, it's a great uh, portrayal. It's just a good love scene. It's the same thing yeah. as like Arwen and... Easy now. Yeah, you're playing a little bit different. <laughs> Aragorn. I want an Aragorn on the bridge, to be totally honest. It's two powerhouses. Yeah. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. This is very different from that. This was much more powerful. <laughs> you can actually feel the emotion in this one and have a buildup to it. Excuse me, I will not I will not hear any Arwen Aragorn slander on this podcast. You can see yourself out. <laughs> uh the next morning. Oh, how lovely. Uh, we wake up. Leandrin just casually inserts herself into the conversation between Moraine and Lan. And it's just like, <laughs> I hear you talking about Matt Coffin. Look, and yeah, too. 
And she talks about Matt Coth and she talks about Rand. She talks about Egwene and Perrin. Look at them all. Look at them all assembled. Nynaeve. And Nynaeve. And, and Moraine just turns to her. And I think this is when, like, I mean, we saw Moraine at her most raw. But she turns to her and she just goes, hey, by the way, bitch, I know about the man you meet in North Harbor. Walk away. Never mention this again. Or I will tell your red sisters about that boy you be meeting. And guess what? They will not be happy with you. <laughs> Power stance, Moraine. Get off. Go, girl. She then uh, goes to meet Loyal. They look at some maps. They talk about some things. They discuss plots. We know. Loyal It's a beautiful landscape. Um, you know, secret wink winks. Uh, and then Egwene and Moraine are in the hall. Uh, Egwene gives us some discussion about the Amarillo seat. And isn't that confusing? Having a seat and a person be the same thing? Huh? Huh? Am I right? Hey, drum roll, please. Uh, <laughs> and there's a third thing. Huh? <laughs> oh. Then we get the great meeting between Egwene and Nynaeve. Super cute hugs. The uh, iconic line from the episode, so on Sanche waits for only one woman, and, and it's it not, not you. you. Let's go, girls. With the head shake. They meet, and then Egwene and Nynaeve meet in Suan's office. She's like, hey, by the way, call me Sue. I think this might be your favorite line when she's talking to Egwene and Nynaeve, and Suan Sanche says... You're the most powerful channeler we've seen in a thousand years. And Egwene's face lights up. Ellipsis, Nynaeve Almira. No, my, my, favorite line, my favorite line is, Swan Senchen waits for oh, no okay. one. I just thought that was so well delivered. And then Nynaeve's follow-up line to that. Yeah, now that you've blown smoke up her ass, why don't you tell us what you want? What yeah. you really, really want? Um, and so then typical Egwene ends that segment with, okay, what do you need us to do? Let's go. So the next morning we're post coitus. We're happy. We're flouncy. We tell off Leandrin, Kayla, give me your thoughts. How are we feeling about this very quick transition sequence to the big finale? Uh, I think it's funny. I think it's some powerful, like, I like to see Nynaeve like still not quite give a fuck about anybody. <laughs> like she's like, I see your Amarlin seat and I raise you my middle finger, you know, that whole thing. Right. <laughs> like that's my Nynaeve. That's my girl. And I don't want to lose that. So I do value that she is standing there. Like that we know that she's still like, no, she's nervous and she is worried about her, her babes. Um, but she's, like, like, okay, you know, maybe you're a little bit impressive, but I that was don't impress me much. There's so much Shania <laughs> happening in this entire <laughs> sequence. Everything so is Shania. Shania. <laughs> right. This whole sequence um, is the entire album of Come On Over. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh my god. Um, god, what was the what's the song about how she like is tired from work? I can't remember. Honey, I'm home and I had a hundred. There we go. Pull That's me a what cold it is. One and over the way there we go. So Moraine, 
Well, Honey, I'm Home was the last scene. There we go. <laughs> right? And now we're into that Don't Impress Me much. There we go. Love that. Um, yes. Uh, just the moment, like... So you think all, you're all so on sunshine. These little, like... Huh? There we go. All of these, these just, like, little interactions between the people. That's my favorite part of any, like, book, series, whatever, is character interactions. Like, yes, you build up a character, but what happens when you throw them at each other? That's really what I'm here for. Um, and I think this episode has got strong character interactions. Um, and like, I will take that over like someone brilliantly monologuing any day. Like even my favorite scene is fundamentally an interaction between Logan and Swan. So yeah. this little scene with Swan with, uh, with Egwene and Nynaeve in her office and how Swan is just like, she's just like, you know, she's chilling there. You can tell she's relaxed. She's got her nice flowy outfit on. She's got her hair pulled up. She even like laughs at him a little bit. She's just like, like, yeah, okay, I like these girls, but also like, I'm not gonna fuck around. So I'm not gonna throw you around on a boat, but like, you know, come for me. I got you. The way that Egwene like turns to Nynaeve, like, (laughs) bitch said what? (laughs) Like, who's the most powerful channeler? Because you know, Egwene, like, like ever since. Moraine was like, I, you know, or like Nynaeve's like, you can listen to the wind. And Moraine's like, you could be an eye to die. Like Egwene has ambition. Good for her. And like to hear that Nynaeve also is like, like for a second, it's like the spotlight almost. And nope, it's actually over here. <laughs> like, I just, I feel like Swan did that on purpose. And One I really enjoyed it. thousand percent. And I ate it up. And the stark difference between how Egwene reacts or she, as you said, she's just lighting up and glowing. Stop and it. Me, the most powerful channeler? Nynaeve's reaction is, oh, your standards aren't very high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just wonderful. And I think sets us up for some really good interactions in season two. Mm-hmm. Which I'm I'm looking forward to after seeing it. Like, there's just three very different... <laughs> Dynamics. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't even think about that. And I knew reaction to being called the most powerful channeler in a thousand years is literally do better. <laughs> <laughs> right? Where she's like both, it's like both a self-own, but like it's more of like an own for the other person. I'm, I'm willing like, to take this stumble to treat you. Ten. <laughs> yes, 10 of 10. There we go, Nynaeve. Especially knowing something of the future between these characters, it's just chef kiss. Obviously, seeing Nynaeve and Egwene being brought into um, the confidence almost, where it's mm-hmm. the one very relaxed and not in a formal setting, uh, which is the only way we see her interact with other Aes Sedai, is, uh, is good. And while it felt a little rushed that now suddenly everything is go, 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 uh, there's a definitive purpose for it because Maureen knows she has limited time before she's getting kicked to the curb. Uh, she's obviously got a bounce in her step after the night before. She's got some snappy Ooh. comebacks and is just ready to go. Uh, she's got a traveling boots on. Let's get to it. Well, they talked about uh, Swan and Moraine talked about the next step do we take them to the eye of the world to see who the real dragon is? And then, of course, the question, what happens to those that aren't the dragon? What's the consequences? Dead hanging of this scene, we don't know the answer. 
The only thing that felt ingenuine to me, and it's probably because I don't know Nynaeve very well, is after she's been scolded so directly by Moraine in the scene before, mm-hmm. to have Sawan blow a little smoke up her ass, but then Nynaeve call her out at it without even a little bit of shame or doubt with that. That doesn't ring true to me in true. Like most people would be a little taken aback by these powerful women kind of putting them in my place, but she, she's not. You didn't see her defensiveness and the oh, yeah, her yeah. shoulders. I also find it interesting herself. that she's yeah, always wearing green in the show. So weird, right? Well, I'm assuming that she's powerful. That's her and Alana hit it off. But they're being subtle about that stuff. But I just found uh, Nynaeve's defiance a bit out of line. But I, I don't know her very well. I only know her from, you know, 45 minutes on TV show. I mean, you also know her from being strapped to a tree. And the second that her mouth is unengaged, like the first thing, she it's not a demand, it's a threat. Like she, she comes hard. So she doesn't, she doesn't ever backpedal. She doesn't ever think that she should owe anyone anything she comes for them like she owns the space every opportunity so she meets the amberlin seat and she's like all right i'm a i'm gonna set my shoulders back i am an equal in this situation i'm going to come in swing best defense is a good offense best defense is a good offense not always don't uh okay don't don't blow smoke up my ass and that's that's naive to a t mm-hmm. right like so regardless that naive like maureen was like you did wrong it doesn't mean that the next thing Nynaeve is still going to come in. And still yeah, that's the part that stuff. doesn't sit with She's me. Gonna, I, I would assume that a character would evolve some point, and she hasn't seemed to evolve. She still has her same interface that she had in episode one, episode, episode yeah. three. We we haven't like spent that much vulnerable time with Nynaeve, right? You haven't Very true, seen, right? You haven't so said seen 45 her, minutes out of six episodes. You haven't seen her in her dressing room, like listening to like Eye of the Tiger and like, you know, getting ready for this meeting with Suan Sanche. Because she is a thousand percent hype girling herself to get ready for this interaction. You don't just casually go to meet the Amberlin seat. Yeah, I mean, next morning, Moraine to Leandrin, oof. That that might be a contender for my rose of the episode. That is uh, Moraine. This is Moraine giving no fucks. This is Moraine being blunt. This is Moraine not beating around after any any bushes after she's had her bush beat. Am I right? Wow. Am I right? Hey, oh, two years on the road. Um, she is just ready like she knows she's gonna get exiled that's been agreed upon she knows she is leaving the tower and she's like hey i'm ready to blow all of this up by going to your sisters and telling them what a fuck you've been and also it leaves us the show watchers being like uh i'm sorry say again what man has leandrin been meeting in north harbor and there's so many uh, possibilities. There's so many possibilities. Um, we can say our theories now because the season has no. ended. Um, I don't know. I think it's what Pat the hell is? I think it's Pat and Fane. Oh. Mm. I heard no whistling. No whistling this episode, but I mean, listen for it in that scene. Maybe you'll hear it. But you know, like Maureen basically throwing it down, saying, "I will tell everyone. I don't give a fuck anymore. You try to blackmail me with your like." bullshit no ma'am no thank you i'm calling you out 
um, because I also have watchers and I'm a lot more subtle than you. Uh, to that, to the Egwene moment in the Amerlin, or sorry, the Hall of the Tower, to the hug, to the great reunion, like the great reunion between Egwene mm-hmm. and Nynaeve. I thought you were dead. So did that Trolloc. Like, let's go, Nynaeve. Uh, and then the meeting, of course, with Suwan and um, the dynamics in that room, the way that each of those women, um, Madeline Madden, Zoe Robbins, Sophia Canedo, carried themselves in that conversation. It is a powerhouse. And all I will say is after rewatching this, knowing where season two is going and seeing some of the teaser trailer scenes, I am so excited. I am so excited for season two and continue. I have to go back and watch those teaser trailers because I only watched them the one time when mm-hmm. they were, the first ones were shown. <laughs> you need another like 30 or 40 times. Yeah. Well, the, the frame by frame breakdown, you know. As there you goes, go. It is uh, it's powerful stuff. Uh, and then, so from the great meeting in Swan's room, we get the prep for banishment. We get that iconic moment of Maureen looking over her city. The like beauty, we get the With no railings. Yes, the no railings. Yeah. The sweeping landscape shots. You know, she lets she speaks to Loyal Builder at this point to land. She says, just make sure, make sure they're, they're there. Like you don't need to be in the tower in the in the hall with me, even though he offers. Just make sure they're there. That's your one job. You know, beautiful landscape shot. Of course, it was in the trailer of Moraine's back looking out on the world. It's stunning. Uh, we come back to the hall of the tower. Instead of on your knees, we get on your feet, Moraine Sedai. We get the Othra, the kissing first of the Amarlin's ring which is gold not any color just gold um you're exiled swear it on the oath rod babe uh and then they casually flick some fingers while they're oath rotting suan sanche says it one way and we get uh moraine then who repeats her oath and because it's so good i'm gonna say it again um, so Swan Sanjay says that much more broadly, all of this, Moraine repeats her oath to Swan Sanjay, and she says, by the light and the hope of my salvation and rebirth, I, Moraine Sadai, do swear to honor and obey Suwan Sanjay, not the Amarillan seat. That's Daughter right. of the river, clever as a pike, strong as the tides. She repeats the words that Sawan's father said to Sawan as she left, which speaks so clearly again to Moraine and Sawan's relationship and never return until she calls me home or may my creator's face turn from me in darkness, consume my soul, blah, blah, blah. But basically Moraine and Sawan forever. And then Maureen walks out and even Alana turns her back on her as Maureen leaves. Reluctantly, but she does. She does. I know. Breaks all of our hearts. Show Alana just out here. I hate that I love her. I know. I know. Show Alana. Um, so this moment of banishment, 
We don't get it in the books. I don't think that's a spoiler. We never see Maureen banished. We never see what happens. We never see Maureen take the oath rod. Kayla, how does it register to you on first watch and rewatch? What is the impact of a scene like this? I, I think it's a, it's a it's a short and powerful scene. Like just it's another it's a continuation of the fantasy bucket, right? This relationship and dynamic between Swan and Moraine. Um, what I do find interesting is that supposedly both of these women have um, the knowledge that Moraine later shares of what will happen to anybody who's at the eye of the world with the Dragon Reborn, and that is presumably where Moraine is going. And I don't know that someone would take such a powerful oath of obedience if they thought that they would live to see it through. Um, this does feel a little bit like a final goodbye to me, just a little bit. And I am curious about the ramifications of this particular oath um, in the future. But uh, yes, beyond that, just the how it shows the relationship of Moraine to the rest of the White Tower beyond Swan is interesting to me. Um, and how uh, any future interactions she might have with other Aes Sedai may go uh, with her as, you know, functionally a pariah. Hmm. Rolling from that. Peregrine. Very powerful. She's been kicked out. Um, yeah, it, it did feel like a bit of a goodbye to me as well. But it also uh, served the purpose of introducing the Oath Rod. Uh, so we know it's there. And then uh, knowing the importance of the wording of the oaths, there are a lot of possibilities for how that will play out and what the ramifications will be uh in the future so that it, it adds a nice little hook there so you don't know if it'll be next season if it'll be the season after that you don't know if it will ever really come up um and if it does how will it be uh how how will it play out uh so really nice that way and yeah that shot of maureen looking out uh actually a lot of the stills from this one, even some of the behind the scenes one yeah. from this, where they took uh, behind the scenes shots of all the sisters in or all the sitters in the hall uh, that you can see behind the scenes, just like the three of them in their uh, ages, just spectacular. And I can see why they spent an entire episode in the White Tower, essentially. Uh, I foresee them spending a lot more time there in the coming seasons. Um, not just because of the books, but because of how impressive that set is. They've obviously put a lot of time and effort into it, and I think they want to use it. And seeing um, the shots from Comic-Con Brazil, they're obviously very proud of it as well, where uh, they replicated it there for people to interact with and, yeah. and see. Uh, so it's definitely a standout of the show. Yeah. It was beautiful. It reminded me of Gondor. In almost every respect, except the uh, penis and testicle. That's right. The penis and ball tower. And a man can find North Harbor. What's that? I know. What the fuck? That, that, like, I have so many questions about the man North Harbor, and that's the biggest one. (laughs) He found it. (laughs) You'll get it when you see the map. Okie dokie. The one thing I took from the oath, I guess two things I took from the oath between Sawan and Moraine, the oath rod was an incredible phallic symbol, and the way they caressed it was uh, like almost funny to me. It was very little, little finger flick. Interview on that. She said the hardest thing of that scene 
was figuring out how to do it to not make it look like a cock. They did not succeed. They did not succeed. It was definitely it, two women like this, was, the... this was set up for failure. Like the prop department yeah. just like made it yeah, impossible. And they, I think they knew exactly what they were doing. Like all the embroidery, <laughs> like the, like the ridges and, and course, everything, the texture. The special effects folks with the lighting that came around and made it even more throbbing and stuff. Anyway, we'll let it go. The second thing I took out of it was because of the words Moraine used, I took hope out of it oh. because she could be called back by Swan and only by her. So she... You know, somebody over overthrows her and takes her over. She's not the one that's going to suffer. So I, I just think it was very hopeful that those two will stay together, that that bond is bigger than the Aes Sedai kind of bond, and that it will be things of uh, hope down the road. That's, But I, I haven't read the other books, so I don't know what else is coming. I have nothing overlaying that. Other than listening to the words and just thinking that uh, Moraine was trying to tell Sawan, I'm here for you. When you need me, I'll be back. That's what I heard. Very interesting. Uh, I mean, she definitely swore to Sawan herself and not the emergency. And I, I mean, I love the emotion of the actors. And again, Rosamund Pike, so brilliant. The genuine tears that are flowing when they're doing this while they're caressing the cock. It's just impressive. And so to dash your hope, because she swore to a single person. Is that person so dies? Yeah. What, what, what happens? Then she's gone. We have no idea. Who's to say? Um, so she's going to die. So you're telling me Sawan died. Jeez. Sawan's yeah, dead. Book readers. Long live the king. Ah, jeez. <laughs> I miss you already, Elizabeth. Oh, sorry. That's real life. <laughs> Long live the king! Wow. <laughs> oh, we're not we're not just quoting Lion King at random intervals. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think a lot needs to be more needs to be said about that. It's um, Rosamund Pike is a goddess, and I think her and Sophie Okonedo, uh really smashed this sequence. Um, beautiful, beautiful yeah. interaction. Kate Fleetwood there as a little icing to the cupcake just made my day. And Atlanta. Obviously, Atlanta. That, oh, that, I, that reminds I me. My North Harbor time. theory. Yeah. My North Harbor theory. Yeah. I think Leandrin's talking to a white cloak. Okay. So I think Pat and Fane, you think white cloak. This is fun. Paragraph. Well, this is just I my loony theory. Pat and Child Fane Velda? is a popular. Velda. You think Child Velda? Well, if you said white cloak, it, if you're in the TV show, you're going to go Child Velda. Okay. If someone's going to be well hung and Leandrin's going to. to you know, throw herself at him. It's got to be him. Do we think she's going to throw herself at him after that caress of Moraine's face? For a purpose. Of all the white cloaks one could choose, Eamon Valda could be uh, could be an interesting choice, even from a book reader perspective. Perhaps a, even a logical one. Um, that's a fun one. But yes, Fane is the low-hanging fruit here. I think that it's probably him. But my, my loony theory is that she's talking about um, that she's meeting with a white cloak. Very fun. Any thoughts, Peregrine? Who's she meeting with in North Harbor? Who's no. the man who has failed North, Har- North I, Harbor? I don't think I can say my theory on this podcast. I see. Can mm. you give initials? Uh, no, because I don't have a specific name. It's kind of a two-part thing. 
And we'll say it and I'll decide if I'm going to edit it out. Is it a out. DF that she's meeting with? Yes. Is she meeting uh, with a DF? Yes. <laughs> okay. From this uh, banishment, we get Maureen galloping Aldeeb, although Aldeeb is never given a name in the show, and I will write about that until I die. She is never named. Maureen gallops Aldeeb to this uh, thing that looks like she's like in Bali all of a sudden, but surprise, it's not Bali. Because the uprides, plains of Scotland or something. Yeah. Up she goes, uprides Loyale, the builder, he is here. Uh, and following Loyale, we get Egwene and Perrin coming. So Loyale has brought them. Uh, the other four gallop up. Lan has done his job. And we get cute little meeting reunions between Egwene and Rand, Matt and Perrin, Egwene and Matt, Rand and Perrin, Nynaeve and Perrin. Everyone hugs. They haven't seen each other. I do like they include that they included every single person who hadn't seen each other yet. After the hugs, we say uh, fucking goodbye, horses. We love you so much, but go away because you'll die if you join us in the ways. Um, Loyal gives us a little bit of exposition around the ways, which is that they were built a very long time ago and no one quite understands them. And it's a little bit of a, you know, discombobulation between time and space. You take one step in the ways, it's like, I don't know, a hundred kilometers in real life. You'll figure it out. It's super fun, super dangerous. Um, Maureen tells us that it's the closest way to the eye of the world where the dark one was sealed. And oh, by the way, um, your predecessor 3,000 years ago, the dragon who sealed him, he kind of fucked it up. One of you is going to have to reseal him. It'll be so fun. And if anyone else is there when the dragon's there, um, question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh and then Moraine goes on to channel open the way gate. Don't worry, we'll discuss Rafe's answer. Um, and she channels it in a way that very much, if you see the weaves, resemble an Avendasora leaf. So that was nice. We actually get that shape. We get a, is it too late my to change my mind? Snarky comment from Matt. And then we get the same shot of Matt looking very pensive and hesitant about 30 times so it's still too yep so it is the exact same shot of matt and they just keep putting it back in so that was very much a post-editing situation because okay. nothing changes from that and if you watch it it is the same it is the same face and everything is the same and is it too late to change my mind is a very snarky comment everyone knows that it's coming from matt you can clearly see that all of them are headed into the ways. And then unfortunately, at the end of the episode, they had to, this is part of the reshoot. <laughs> and they expositioned Matt still waiting there with no one around him. And all of them screaming, Matt, 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 as the darkness closes in. Um, so knowing what we're heading into, <laughs> into episode seven and eight, when Barney Harris does not come back, um, it was very clear to me on rewatch that uh, this was not understood at the end of filming, that he would not be coming back. 
and that they took what they had from the footage and they tried to make it work and make sense. You guys are all nodding. When I watched it, I was because I found out that um, after episode six, he wasn't coming back, that they directors knew before the ending of filming that you know so so you're saying if you go back and look at them standing in the ways that there's a blacked out area where the matt character was standing no 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 i'm saying that basically they refilmed that script like they, they and and yeah so i remember watching that the first time going what the hell's going on why is matt not going in the ways he was so important in the ways i don't get it anyway that i was really confused on rewatch watching that because I thought that they knew that Barney had told them before the end of episode six that I'm done. I, I'm tapping out. Uh, I, so move on. Yeah. No, I, uh, it was, I mean, apparent to me, Peregrine, I don't know about you, but he was nodding too. And so was um, Kayla. Like it looked very obvious that he was just like, like they basically took any footage they had from him from this episode and threw it in. And oh, yeah. hoped for and the best. Just the way he was just standing there. Like, I don't even think his cloak was moving yep. in the wind yep. as the gate was closing. And he's just still for like 10 seconds. Uh, it was pretty apparent, but you got to work with you what you have. And you're not going to reshoot the whole season. Yeah. And we're not going to get mad. Like, I'm not mad about it. Um, it just, it wasn't clear to me on the first watch, which is what I'll say is like, and now on rewatch, knowing this yeah. and see, because like at this point, when it came out last year, I genuinely thought that he was in episode seven and eight. And I remember speaking to people and they were like, oh, no, like he didn't come back for them. But we had no idea. And I was like, no, no, no. He's he's like, there's no way. Like, and there were rumors absolutely, that tickets had been booked back for the shoot so you had hope there was so much that was going on and all we knew is that he wasn't in season two there was nothing to tell us that he wasn't going to be in the final two episodes and i remember advocating with every part of my fiber that he was coming back for those two episodes and yeah when it when it closed i didn't even think about it at the time but now a year later re-watching it and seeing how there is no shit like he, they definitely filmed him walking into the ways with them. And you will not convince me otherwise. Now that I've seen it again on rewatch, they absolutely filmed him walking in because he went in and that's how they ended filming before COVID. But uh, Kayla, your thoughts on, on this final sequence. Yeah. Other than like the crushing, like, disappointment and like the shock and somewhat like you know like I was appalled that like that that, that they did my that they, they did my boy that way like like in hindsight like yeah I understand but at, at the time I was like what, what the fuck yeah. like, this is a departure I I agree I think they did the best that they could with uh with the circumstances that they were given I need I I'm missing the loyal the loyal content in all of this even in like the previous scene um the previous scenes, I should say, there's just not much in the way of my my Ogier son. And I just, um, I wish that there were more, especially since he's so pivotal to the, you know, the travel by ways, the, where it just doesn't seem like he's really even talking when they're there. And yeah. this is the, the first, like, big reunion that they all have, like, together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was somewhat, um, somewhat, I just, I, wa- I wanted more from what I got. Like my, like I said, my favorite part of any given story is what happens when you throw characters back together. And for Perrin in particular, I think I would have liked to see a little bit more. Maybe like, with a him word and, spoken. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would have been, would have been like with him and Rand. Um, it would just would have been, if there had been some kind of interaction between Perrin and Rand, then it would have been nice like to have that paralleling their reaction, their interaction in the next episode. Um, as it is, it's just kind of like, oh, you know, they made some jokes, like, haha. Um, when like what they all really needed to do was hug it out. Like, come on, man. Like you're just seeing your bro for the first time. You thought everyone was dead. Like, come on. Um, yeah, it's um not not the best scene in in the episode as far as it all goes. Yeah, yeah. It makes the choice of a thorn in the episode pretty easy. Pretty yeah. easy. Uh, yeah, the challenge will be not to name this as the thorn. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they did the best with what they could. Senior reunions was wonderful. Um, Parents, one line that at least he wasn't stupid enough to take a dagger uh, to Matt. You know, lightens the mood a little bit. A little bit, but it's uh, so offhand and it's so quiet. Like, would make more sense. Matt saying something like that to Perrin. Sure. But so a, a little out of character, but like, I think it was already one of the longest episodes of the mm-hmm. season. Uh, I think it was over an hour. And it, knowing the rush that they're in, yeah. uh, it makes sense to have them kind of hurry along. Um, similar, I, I got similar kind of vibes to when um, in Fellowship of the Ring, when they, come out of uh moria yeah and everyone's like yeah oh let's go uh is like give him a moment to grieve for pity's sake and he's like ah, nope gotta go nope getting up dead we roll uh so it, i kind of felt that rush and um time crunch okay. for it uh that was built into the story so it, it made sense would have liked to see more um but i get why we didn't yeah. Um, gosh, I hate that the end episode ended like that because I feel like we were on such a high about how great it was. And then, you know, we kind of we kind of met with a pretty grim reality of what's going to follow us into episode seven and eight, which is COVID restrictions and turns of events. So maybe it is a good place to leave it. I don't know. Um, but let's try to bring it up. Uh, about the episode as a whole. Again, on rewatch, it sits higher than it did on initial watch for me. Mm-hmm. This is a really high episode now, like genuinely one of my favorites. I enjoy every interaction. Rosamund Pike is a goddess. She can do no wrong. She carries so much weight with her into every scene. I'm really happy with this episode. It is, it's some of the gay that I've been waiting for, I think, and I hope that season two will bring more gay um, in the best way. I just want Rafe to continue to gay it up in every, everything that he's well, doing. Celebration of, a rela- of relationships, yes. whether guy, guy, woman, woman, guy, woman, etc. Whatever it is. Like, just celebrate love and the relationship and that focus on the sexuality. I think 
You hit uh, that before? Smashed, I think that they did that really well. Smashing it out of the park. And this on the day that uh, Warrior got, or um, Warrior Nun has been canceled on Netflix. He had another show where Women Loving Women, WLW, has, not been, it um, has been canceled because reasons on every streaming network. It is so nice to see a show like Amazon or like with the Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime that takes women loving women, Moraine and Suan, puts it at the forefront. And it's not canceled. It's renewed at least for three seasons. I just want to see more of that. And I want to make sure that that continues to be centered in a world where increasingly voices like that and narratives like that are silenced. Uh, So that's just my little spiel. Uh, Camille, I'm thinking about you on Queers of Time. Uh, But let's get to the goods. Peregrine, your rose and thorn from this episode. Uh, I mean, the rose kind of echoes that the genuine relationship with Maureen and Sawan. Uh, it wasn't just thrown in for a cheap thrill. It's there. It's authentic. But I mean, that, that's kind of an easy one. So the, the other thing I really liked about it was the tower politicking. Yep. Uh, that they're introducing it early. Yep. And doing it hopefully in an ongoing way so they won't have to spend you know half a book trying to explain it uh in so season three we understand everything so i i do appreciate that they're looking down the road and setting us up uh not just looking to the end of the season looking to the end of the run hopefully eight seasons or more uh, to really set the viewer up to go through and enjoy it thoroughly on a rewatch as well and to go back and, and dig in. Uh, so that can be my roses. Also, the authenticity. Experiencing the intrigue. Yeah, the, the intrigue and the authenticity yeah. of it. Um, and your thorn. The thorn leaving aside the obvious. The end. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I brought it up already. Just that interaction uh when Moraine goes into to heal Matt I yeah. would have loved to just see Lamb's strength and hand just appear out of nowhere just like and we've already seen him act in that way so I, I understand why it wasn't necessary but one of those scenes that I had in my head as from a book the reader I would have liked it, to see on the screen yeah yeah Kayla your rose and thorn Logan and Swan yeah, um, easy and everybody <laughs> Yelling into the ether as the doors, <laughs> the ways closed behind them. <laughs> Just like the absolute like chef kiss pinnacle of like acting and writing and like like camera work all at once, and then slapdash, we gotta fix it. <laughs> and have you heard of band aids? Because we got one. Right, you know that that meme of the guy like putting duct tape on like a big gushing waterfall, like it works. That's what's going on. <laughs> that would work. That's what's happening. Yeah, uh, great. Like they have so my funny. they have my sympathy. Like they have yes. my sympathy. I'm not mad about it. It's just like I still I still don't enjoy it. Like it doesn't mean it's pleasurable like, to watch right and in the process of them like you know fixing everything like they had to write in like a new plot line that they hadn't intended and it really like it it just i think in a way 
if I'm going to put an optimistic spin on my thorn is that it could be reintroducing some aspects of what was the dagger match that seems to be what they were taking away when the evil flubber was, was exercised. From <laughs> so, um, so season two, as they reintroduce Matt, we'll see more of the taint still him and, and right. Okay. Like perhaps this was like the just kidding. Like, you know, he's still a dick. <laughs> Missed one small shard. Nuts. Shoot. It's been done before. Rose and Thorn Gray Hand. Rose Swan waits for only one woman, and it's, it's not, not you. I just love the way it was delivered. It was just almost like a castaway line. God love it. It was beautiful. Uh, Thorn was just the feeling that I had watching it the first time. Couldn't figure out why the fuck Matt wasn't going into the ways. So it was more just like, what, how, what, what's going on? Like, what, how can you change the story that much? So it was, that was more from that perspective. That is such a huge change from the book that it, it, it can't not be my thorn. Yeah. I get you. I think my rose uh, for this episode was the symmetry. Um, mm. So we have the symmetry of, Burden. Neil. I can't Neil. Even, stand. I, I can't even say that name. Uh, but Burden speaking to Suwan as she departs the tower. Suwan or uh, Moraine as she's swearing that oath to Suwan, repeating the same thing Beautiful. that 11 to 14 year old Suwan may have heard <laughs> from her father. <laughs> on your knees, that castaway line from Moraine. And then, of course, on your feet. Uh, as as the exile, so the symmetry of this episode, even though it didn't open and close with um, the same kind of ideas or or character, it didn't round it out that way. There was still so much symmetry and really poetry to what was happening. Um, so it's it's kind of again, I feel like I say this every episode, but it's kind of like a smattering of petals because it's not a complete rose, but it, it, it really echoes throughout the episode. Um, and my, my thorn is the absence of Bernie Harris. And that doesn't just include the end, which is the obvious, but like I, I spoke about the, the absence of Bernie, the absence of Matt Cawthon when his, when he's being cleansed of Mashadar. I wanted more from him. This is a really big moment. And I feel like we spent more time with Moraine than we did with Matt. And I needed that time with Matt to really buy in, which does, you know, let's, let's put the positive spin. <laughs> does make me optimistic for season two and Donal Finn. And we I was just going to say Donal. Donal's going to be our Finn. man. We already know that there are scenes of him in the tower we haven't seen it yet, but it was at New York Comic Con. It was at uh, Brazil Comic Con. We know that there is a scene of him in the tower with Leandrin. And, he's not from the North Shore, is he? And he's trying he's to seen. escape, and he is <laughs> trying to dig his way out with a spoon. That's all we know about what's happening. Um, so I am not going to lay my hopes of Matt being totally healed of the dagger without explanation to bed I'm, I'm i'm gonna put them on season two and hope that they deliver um but it's it's certainly it's certainly my thorn and everything i've seen from donald finn he's amazing it looks incredible yeah. uh i think it was at brazil comic-con he did a little 
yeah. was part of the Q&A and he talked about he wasn't trying to emulate Barney nope. in his acting. He was basing it off the books and reading and knowing where Matt's going. It gives me a lot of excitement. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of hope. I'm excited for Donal. Um, the more we do this rewatch, the more I'm excited for matt season two that's what i'm finding myself prepping for especially as this is our last episode with matt coffin so goodbye matt um you do get to see him for like half a second at the in sometime in episode eight uh i will say a very dramatic moment of him looking up at the white tower it is the same shot that they they took that so the 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 (laughs) scenes from shadar logoth like shadar logoth is the tarvalon set um, they reused it and they repurposed it. So they definitely took a scene from from Barney Harris in Shadar Logoth and repurposed it for Tarvalon. They darkened it a little. Reuse, recycle. Reduce, reuse, recycle. We're here for it. Um, but I'm excited uh, and, and very sad because, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt not being in the next two episodes is, is going to set me into a little bit of sadness. Um, Barney but Harris, fear we hardly knew you. We hardly knew ye, and then also we knew you too well at one point, but then mostly we hardly <laughs> knew ye. Mostly, uh, I'm excited for season two, uh, Matt Coffin, and I will say we're going into episode seven, and you should get amped up because we're going in with the Wheel Reads boys. So we're talking Ian, Chris, and Alan, who are the self-professed Matt, Perrin, and Rand of the series but yeah that's that's all to come there is going to be hope we've got great guests coming in to help us bring us uh through episode seven and eight which i don't think i've made um i made it any secret that they are the hardest episodes for me but i'm excited i'm excited to rewatch i'm excited to get me too, because other than that last little two. segment of eight with my such great disappointment at how they discharge Rand and his little grumpy departure, I actually can't remember a thing on seven and eight other than that. All right. So, so we're going into it. Kayla, thank you so, so, so much. Very nice to meet you, Kayla. And your yes. cats. Yes. And yes. Bobo and Silchas. Uh, anything coming down the pipe for you? Will we continue to see you on Twitter? Um, where can we find you better your... because you're so freaking funny? Well, thank you. Um, no, I'm not I'm not leaving Twitter. Elon Musk um can take that app over my my cold dead body. So um I'm just been it's like you know, the the season of the year in terms of my day job is is very demanding. Um and so I take a lot of naps. <laughs> Um, but you can find me Twitter. I'm at Pan Malazan. I haven't really migrated to any other social media. You can see me occasionally in the Dusty Wheel live streams as a moderator and, you know, dropping in here and there for a different podcast. And of course, uh, for anybody who might be interested in attending WatCon this year, I am part of the WatCon staff, um, as an accessibility coordinator. And so, um, as more WatCon adventures and registration being open as it is now, you will see me here and there uh, with plugs for that as well. And I will say as the book track manager for WatCon, you will also hear and see Kayla on panels, whether or not she knows it, because <laughs> bullying works. <laughs> and Kayla's voice is a great voice that deserves to be heard and not just running around. Um, Should we say audibly? 
Audibly. Not a reader. She's a listener. She is. Well, yes. But she reads. Listening is reading. I'm not. This is what we're learning. Um, Kayla, thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Um, Peregrine, anything to tout from you? Will you come up with a handle or will you continue to dox me with your name on social media? Uh, no, you will continue to be doxed with my name. So cool. <laughs> it is there. <laughs> I don't have the time to manage more than one. It literally Twitter takes two seconds, but anyway. And then I got to manage two. There's the complexities. Do you, boo? Uh, yes, Paragon, you will continue to rewatch, hopefully, with us. Um, and you can catch us every Thursday talking about the Wheel of Time and sometimes Lord of the Rings, but not until we get more season two news. Uh, in the meantime, I can say that there is an article that indicated Wheel of Time season two will be out in early 2023. So that's exciting, if we believe it. Um, I'm firmly standing by my... April slash May release. The, the Twitter buzz was February or March. I don't believe it. I've been saying March. March is okay. my, that's my bet. All right. Will so it be released in August? It definitely in August. August. Well, Origins will be in August. It's a really good, yeah. it's a really good time. Your definition of early 2023 is month eight? Yes, mm-hmm. August. Oh, my birthday. But thank you so much for listening, friends. Uh, join us ne- next week and every Thursday at a Feather and Mountain podcast. You can find us on Twitter still because like Kayla, we're going down, baby. We're taking the ship to the grave. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and you can email us at feathermountainpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, comments about Swarain that is not about WLW women loving women in a supportive or constructive fashion, you can take that to on your knees at suckatrout.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Namaste. <laughs>